This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. Here we go. Test, test. Yep. <clears throat> so good of you to come and do this. What a great idea by uh, by Anthony. Yeah, no, I was surprised. I like that guy. I'm surprised when he pitched that. Yeah, me too. You've got a good friend in him. He's he's a good guy. <laughs> I don't. My locked second lockdown would have been so hard without him. Yeah, you were saying you guys hang out or speak pretty much every day. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, no, that was that was crucial. To me, he had three months where he went back to Malawi, and that was devastating. Yeah, shame on him for wanting to go home right. and visit his people. Home country <laughs> office. That's absolute BS. But yeah, I, I, yeah, it feels weird. I was I was thinking like I got I look so scruffy. It's unbecoming of this interview. I feel like I should switch to my <laughs> I, I, I should switch to my British accent to lend the necessary gravitas. <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. you know, that's one way of doing it. <laughs> no, here we go. Um, okay, I will introduce and welcome everybody to this rather different episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. I am not your host today. I'm John Allen, but I am not your host today. I have my friend Eirik Sørvik. Uh, he is going to uh, interview me, <clears throat> interview me. So this is his show today. Uh, we'll see how things go. Um, they'll go, but we don't know how they'll go. I have no idea what questions he's going to ask me, um, uh, but, I'm, but I'm looking forward to it. So take it away, Idik. It's your show. I've, I've got the keys to the podcast now? You've got the keys to the podcast. Okay. First of all, I just God, wanna... that's scary. <laughs> is it? I don't know. It's different. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. I... I, I I always tell my uh, guests, you know, just relax. It's just a conversation. So now I'm putting that mantra into my own head. Yeah. Now. Just relax. It's just a conversation. Yeah. Uh, I've never uh, hosted either on stage. I've never been a host of a show. I've never hosted a podcast oh. or anything like that. So this is a kind of a first time thing for me as well. I think you're going to do well. I always enjoy talking with you. So in a way, it's a big relief for me to not have to worry about stimulating the conversation. Mm. You're going to do all the stimulating <laughs> presumptuous but all right uh i will just uh start by saying that this was uh you recently had my friend anthony kalinde on yes shout out to anthony shout out to anthony and he's the one who's kind of behind this thing happening in the first place he uh he felt that and i'm sure a lot of you guys who listen to this podcast feel the same way like sometimes we could do with hearing more about what john allen's about you know what got him to where he is. So yeah. uh, Anthony was thinking the same, and he dropped my name as a potential guy to interview, and here we are. It was an interesting idea. I had never really thought of, I guess I had an episode way, way back, like the fourth or fifth episode, mm -hmm. where my friend, friend Tiffany Troutman kind of, the, the meaning was that she was going to in, interview me, but it turned into more of a, uh, just a regular back and forth discussion. Mm. So we'll see what this is. Yeah, we'll see what this is. All right. Uh, I was thinking, we'll probably... Go over a fair bit of, you know, what's what's led you to this point? What's your life yeah. been like? But before we start, I just want to know, like, one of the things I find really interesting about you is on Facebook, when I see something which I disagree with or that I want to chip into or something, I type out a paragraph and then yeah. I delete it because I'm like, uh, that's not worth it, right? You are still going. Yeah. <laughs> I lost that. I lost that kind of uh, idealism yeah. uh, some time ago. How do you hold on to that? Why do you still carry <sighs> hopes for random conversations with people who are kind of at a diametrically opposed place to you? Well, the key word is hope. Mm. Um, my wife and others say I'm wildly naive. Um, 
But I said on a I said on a recent podcast episode, maybe two episodes back, I said I'll never give up on a racist. Mm-hmm. And I can expand on that by saying I'll never give up on someone who holds hatred or or divisiveness or any of these negative things that we very often see on on social media. If they hold those things in their heart, I just won't give up on that person. Mm. Um, I'm a true believer in growth through dialogue. Mm. I think that. You know, if we, if we look at racism, for example, I believe that there are very few true racists. Mm. Uh, and what I mean by that is I don't believe that there are many racists out there who don't know that their beliefs are fucked up. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you're you know, you're wrong. You know, you're evil. You know that your your racism is not based in fact. Mm. I believe that most of them are people who at a very young age were taught that by their parents or by their surroundings. And they've become to, they've come to identify mm. with that line of thinking. Uh, I don't think, I, I think it's possible to be, to hold on to those racist uh, uh, beliefs and that ideology and be very uh, upset by the fact that you are holding on to that. Mm. But because people find it very hard to jump into a new track. You know, you get into that rut in your life and it just kind of leads you where it leads you. And a lot of people fear stepping outside of that. So they hold on to certain things like racism or bigotry Mm. or misogyny. They hold on to that because it's become such a big crutch Mm. in their psyche. It's become uh, such a big part of their identity. And it's not like I'm trying to preach to anyone. It's not like I'm begging people to hear me. But I do believe that engaging in that dialogue, uh, which you very often see on on uh, on my social media, is it's it's my uh, it's my attempt to further this sociological experiment called mm-hmm. uh, growth through dialogue, mm-hmm. um, and that growth is for me as well. Um, every time I th- when I think I've heard it all. When it comes to racism or bigotry or twisted political so-called political views, uh, somebody will say something else. I'm like, oh my god, do they really believe? And it's fascinating to me, and I try to learn something from it. And I can't learn if I don't have a dialogue. And I believe that's true for everybody. You just cannot learn if you avoid that dialogue with people who oppose or at least think slightly different, more or less differently than than what you do. There's so much to be learned there. So. I also believe that there can be growth and a gaining of knowledge through observation so that maybe some of the people who, for example, listen to my podcast or see that exchange, that long, sometimes 150 comment long Mm. exchange on my social media, they might learn something and not necessarily for me. I'm not saying I'm some kind of a guru or something, but they might, I can give you an example. I had um, a podcast episode couple episodes back with a black American and we think rather differently on uh, how to go forth in our messaging around certain topics Mm -hmm. where our goal is essentially the same but we disagree wildly uh, in methodology Uh, he's accused me in so many words of being soft of being uh, some sort of a sellout or some sort of attention seeker yeah and that was an interesting conversation for me. I don't know if it was for him or not, but my hope is that my listeners or, or viewers in that case saw something in that conversation 
that taught them. Maybe it taught them at the very least. If you're if you're Norwegian and you don't know that many Black Americans, maybe Americans, maybe it taught you, wow, they're different. They're mm. not a monolith. Yeah, you know what I mean. So those kind of learning moments, those kind of uh, uh, opportunities for mental uh, or ideological growth, don't exist if there is no dialogue. Mm. So it takes a lot for me to really stiff arm somebody and never speak with them. Uh, I did tell a guy about four days ago to screw off from my social media because he, he was just throwing insult after insult at me, at me, yeah. at, at some other people on the page. And it got to a point where there was nothing to learn. There was no dialogue. Yeah. There, I mean, that's not a dialogue. So I guess I have a lot of patience. I've been told uh, that my patience is legendary. I don't know about that, <laughs> but I am a patient man. And, but that's because I'm, I'm seeking knowledge. I'm seeking growth and I'm not going to get that if I don't engage. Yeah. That's uh that's a very good point. Uh, even if it's stuff that you're uncomfortable with and that you would dismiss out of hand, yes, you want to examine, okay, why do I believe that? And examine your own underpinnings. I know myself, yeah. there's stuff that I hold, have held from a young age. And then I'm like, wait, yeah, I just took that on board yes, and didn't pose any of the questions. Right. And right. Yeah, it's it's um, also another thing you mentioned is that you talked about the people watching the discussion. It's not always about the person you're discussing with, right? Sometimes there's other people, and you can make a better case or even just demonstrate that you're more willing to talk right. alone and have more credence than the other guy. Well, I don't know if that's a conscious decision to display uh, sure. from my side because I'm not looking for anybody to pat me on the back. I mean, it is something that is displayed <laughs> through the course of that con conversation. But um, again, it's just it's 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 a it's a sincere uh, desire to learn. I am far from a finished product. Mm. I have so much more to do, so much more to learn, so much more to give. Uh, I hope I have more to give. And 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 again, it just boils down to my intense desire to to have dialogue. I don't want. Um, I'll put it to you this way that podcast episode that I referred to a couple episodes back with the other black American gentleman is the first episode I've had where there is even a hint of conflict between me and my guests. I, I've seen you uh, uh, ask people to bring I it. I know, I'm, I'm, I'm begging them. And it's yeah. not like I want to fight with somebody, but I, do, I want somebody who thinks differently than me. And I want to have that discussion. I want to put it on my podcast platform, again, in the hopes of putting something out there that other people can learn from. Mm. And that's very hard to do. I've seen people on my social media put out the craziest conspiracy theories. Mm. You know, the election was stolen in the States and, mm. and uh, you know, QAnon, this and that. Um, and I asked them, I said, you know, uh, you believe pretty strongly in these things. Would you like to come on my podcast? Uh, we can have a discussion. Maybe people can learn something from you. Well, it doesn't have, I'm sorry, I have one person. Yeah. One person who has said yes, but mm -hmm. I have yet to schedule an episode with them because I'm trying to find someone who's more left-leaning to come on and we can have a three-way or maybe even a two-way conversation where I'm the moderator. Right, right. Again, in the interest of putting that type of a discussion out there so people can see the way it's supposed to be had. Um, because that's also another thing that I'm trying to advocate is the fact that you can have these conversations on social media, but very often they get ugly and mm. it turns to name calling. And I'm trying to put it out there that those types of conversations on that platform uh, uh, are seldom productive. Take it out of that platform and put it in either a face-to-face -face conversation 
or at least on the telephone or even better on a podcast mm. or, or a radio show so that listeners or viewers can see because I think a lot of people are forgetting that it's possible to disagree without yelling, screaming, name-calling, and hating. Yeah. People are forgetting that. There's that, there seems to be certain issues where people are saying, like, there can be no diversity of opinion on this field. There's just what's right and what's wrong. I mm. think that's that's part partly politicization, I think. I think so, yeah. Can I get you to lean in a little better? Yeah, sure. If you loosen this right here, I can't do it myself because my shoulder is messed up. If you loosen that, then you can pull the mic more towards you. All right. Let's see. There you go. And then pull. There you go. Now tighten that up again. All right. Go like that, and then you can lean in a little. I'm, af I'm afraid you're not in. You're not in the, in the shot there. There you go. That's better. <laughs> I'm kind of okay with not being in a shot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like. I like the. What is that? A. I don't know. Maybe a six day, six day, seven day stubble there. This takes me longer than six days, man. Oh my I don't gosh. lift. You know, there's no testosterone. Ah, no zero testosterone. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was joking with you before the show that uh, I look fairly scruffy and I feel like this is not giving you the due deference required because you are the you are the you know guy that that this show uh, has been rolling around who's been pulling it and getting it going and stuff and I feel like maybe I should be doing a BBC accent just to sort of give the gravitas <laughs> required for this. Well, uh, you know, today because I'm a little bit further away from the camera because we're both here, they can see I have on I have a pair of shorts on basketball shorts. All right. Uh, in all, uh, in all honesty, normally I'm uh, I'm naked from the waist down, and I have about 15, 20 turtles <laughs> sitting in my lap during every episode. So uh, fifteen to twenty turtles. Yes. Is that turtle real, by the way? I see your social media is at a what turtle? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. I don't know what you're talking all right. about. All right. We're not going to get bogged down in that because <laughs> people want to get to know you. <laughs> no, you can ask me about the turtle. Uh, go ahead. I, no, I just saw you posting about your turtle, and, and uh, I'm like, is that a euphemism? Is is there an actual turtle in your tub or something that's been brought home, or you know, what's the root of this? <laughs> what's the root of this? Turtles don't have roots. No, Plants I... have roots. All right. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't ask know what you're anything, talking about. Ask me anything. I'm an open book. I said, well, you can ask me. You asked me about my turtle. I didn't give you the proper, I, I, I didn't give you a very uh, uh, filled out answer, but you, you, you can certainly ask. No the, no, the whole turtle thing is, um, um, you know what? Just go, go to my face. <laughs> go to my Facebook, everybody. Uh, if you go to my Facebook and then search uh, John Allen's turtle, hashtag John Allen's turtle. And there, there, it, it is it is what it is. Nice I hate little, that I hate that phrase, but it is what it is. Yeah. Hashtag John Allen's turtle. It's a nice little teaser. We'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Good question though. When it comes to when it comes to uh, dialogue and stuff like that, though, was that like the main reason why you started this podcast? Was it for your own reasons, or was it, was it because... for my own reasons, for my own health? Yeah. For my own um, betterment. Um, the reason I started this podcast was, <clears throat> as I've said dozens if not hundreds of times on this podcast uh my son passed away in november 2019 excuse me passed away in november 2019 and it just it really it really knocked me out uh and i was really down for several months after that and then in around the middle of february <clears throat> snoopy said um or i asked snoopy uh you know what can i do i i, I need to get out of this i can't walk around like this you know uh no productivity at all constantly having uh you know the facts around his death in my mind and things like that mm -hmm. and she says well why don't you um 
you know, you love people, you love, you know, you're a very, um, uh, you're a seeker, you're a seek, you're always curious and you're always seeking. Why don't you start a podcast? Now she had been after me for years to do a podcast. Uh, she likes my voice. She tells me to yeah, shut up. Do. She tells me to shut up all the time, but at the same <laughs> time she says she likes my voice. I don't know. Figure that one out. So she, she told me, she says, you really should start your podcast, get on the microphone and just talk and see what that does for you. And then if, if you're comfortable with it, why don't you start bringing people on, people who interest you, people who make you curious, mm -hmm. people who you think can inspire you or motivate you. And I'm like, why why didn't I think of that? You know, what a woman. Mm -hmm. she, she gave me uh, uh, the, the tool, or she pointed me to the tool that I needed to lift me out of that mm -hmm. and continue on this thing called life, which, again, is full of growth and gaining of knowledge. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you make it that way, that's the way I try to make it. So I started my podcast for that reason. Mm -hmm. And every guest that I've invited on, there has been, uh, and this is a shout-out to every one of them. I've had 130 two or three episodes so far. And every guest that I've had on has been someone who has motivated me, inspired me, someone who I think I can learn something from. So every guest that I've had on has contributed to me, um, uh, you know, gr growing from the death of my son, from his heroin overdose. Mm -hmm. So that is the, re and that's regardless of the guest, regardless of what we talk about. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and sometimes I'll have, I might have two guests in one day and I have great conversations and I'll feel good and I'll feel very inspired. But then as soon as they're gone, as soon as they leave the studio or, or we hang up on the, on the video connection, um, boom, uh, back down into feeling down and out and all that stuff and thinking about, uh, you know, the, 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 the depressing and sad things that I think about. Mm. So it's an ongoing process. Um, it's like any medication. This podcast is my medication and no medication. Well, I don't know. Cannabis might work immediately on a lot of ills. So they say, um, <laughs> but, but, but like most medicines, the cure is not immediate mm. and you will have those, those ups and downs, but it's been an upward curve. Um, since I started this podcast, it's, mm. it's been quite, uh, quite the learning experience has been quite, uh, uh, therapeutic for me and and again a shout out to every guest You're, yourself included this is what your third time year yeah. uh, a shout out to every guest I've had they have contributed to my uh, healing to my betterment to my gaining of knowledge so so it, but but within all of that I have fun you know I enjoy it I laugh a lot um, especially when I have Snoopy on I don't know if you've heard any of the episodes with her I tease her relentlessly okay. but it's it's this is my this is my therapy this is my treatment this is my uh, hopefully my catalyst to learning how to deal uh, with the passing of my son, because I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know if what I'm doing is correct. Mm -hmm. That remains to be seen. But uh, this is what I'm using now. This is the medication I'm using to do that now. Just want to put in a little disclaimer that cannabis is not a panacea. It's not a cure-all. It's, it's, it's not a cure-all. And uh, you're right. And um, this is Norway, not the United States, where in certain states it's becoming, it's, uh, it's uh, legal uh, to use cannabis. But I think it's, an, it's a very fascinating history with cannabis about why it has been uh, made illegal and why it is now being made legal. There's a history in that. It's a very interesting story. Um, and I'm not hinting at any kind of a governmental conspiracy theory, 
but the government has played a certain role in both the legalization and making it illegal in the first place. It's quite interesting uh, to go into that story. I'm trying to find the right person to speak with uh, about the history of cannabis in the United States. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not a I, user. I've never I've never yeah. used before, but the but the medicinal properties of it uh, fascinate me. I, 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 this is kind of a pet peeve of mine because it's such a stupid ass policy. The whole uh, illegality of drugs and making them punishable and stuff. So I'm, I'm all clued up about the whole, yeah, uh, Harry Anslinger and the yeah. start of the FBI and all that stuff. Well, but you know, yeah. looking, looking at, um, looking at my, uh, I'm just gonna do this. There we go. Um, looking at uh, what happened to my son. Um, I mean, I had already been leaning towards. Um, uh, you know, acknowledging the foolishness of of of, uh, of all drug use being illegal, mm. but looking at the death of my son and how that went down and what he uh, struggled with, uh, uh, I uh, yeah, like I said, I'm I'm looking for people with whom I can speak who can speak to that yep. to the legality of it, you know, the whole law issue of it, but I also I'm, I'm looking for some medical people to talk about it as well. Yeah. Uh, maybe some sort of therapist who has a lot of experience helping people with, with, with addiction problems. There's something that should be done, something that can be done so that these people who are uh, addicted to substances can have a better life. We can be, we can be doing better for those people. Absolutely. And that's both here in Norway and back home in the States. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say, too, if, if you manage to get in, say, experts and people who know about the history, history of it and all that stuff, you get to get to make that full picture of uh, uh, the drug situation, then you're doing a huge service because there seems to be either people looking to tar it yeah. or people going trying to go like, oh, this is healthy and natural and it's been right, for ages. Right. And, like there's well, see, no drawbacks. See, the, thing, the thing is, is uh, you know, if you take cannabis, for instance, uh, it, it is natural and it, it can be healthy. It, it, in, in its essence, it is healthy, but, but it's, it's corrupted by... I don't know, human weakness, mm. which then allows it to be abused, which is not healthy yep. and is not helpful. So, so you see, so you see, there's this duality mm. when it comes to drugs. There's this duality that I think is worth exploring. Oh, yeah. And again, it goes back to putting something out there through dialogue that my listeners and viewers can learn something from. So I'm looking for that right setup, that right, you know, that, 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 medical person that therapist mm. uh maybe that user or that addict, hard time, yeah. uh, and that lawyer or that law person mm. and you know so i'm looking at maybe a series of four or five episodes where yeah. i would like to approach that and put that out there for people heck next year you'll be on nrk talking about the next run-up to the <laughs> decriminalization NRK. bill shout out to nrk <laughs> shout out to ingvild brin uh from nrk it was, uh, uh, the, by the way, when uh, when Anthony suggested we do this, that was just before you were given like a seven minute portrait on NRK, mm. which I checked out by the way in my research. That this is the only thing I did in preparation, uh, and uh, I, part of me was like, "Oh man, do, is this needed?" But seven minutes is different to a full. Well, you know, th this is going to be a lot easier. This is a lot easier than yeah. that seven minute portrait I got on NRK. For for those who aren't here in Norway, NRK is the national. Uh, national uh, TV broadcast uh, channel here in Norway. Uh, this is easier because 
it's here. It, we're in the moment and we know exactly what the content is. Mm. But in preparation for that uh, little seven minute portrait, yeah. uh, they filmed all day long mm. from early in the morning until uh, early evening. So there's a full work day where I had to, I was, you know, the camera was on, the microphone was on. Mm. Um, and they followed me and Snoopy around. Well, not necessarily Snoopy the whole time, but for me, they followed around all day long. Get under your skin. <laughs> well, well, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, at the end, I was tired. Mm. I was, I was a little worn out. Um, partly because, um, you know, I do this podcast in English. Uh, I speak English here at home. Mm. Uh, I speak Norwegian when I'm out and about and in other business. Uh, 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 things that I do, all of that goes in Norwegian, but it's never an all day thing. Yeah. Oh, that's fatiguing. Yeah. It's quite fatiguing. Absolutely. It is. It's, um, it's tiring. <laughs> so by the end of the day, I'm like, Oh gosh, it's just... no, but they were, they were very considerate. Uh, um, um, they were very, um, at the same time as it was tiring towards the end of the day, I also was very much used to having the microphone and the camera on. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, yeah, you know, they're just here. And, 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 but, but, uh, it was, um, th there's a lot more footage out there. I, I said a lot more things, uh, um, a lot of silly things, funny things, uh, a lot of deep things. Mm -hmm. So we'll see if they're going to use any of that for mm -hmm. anything, but there's a lot more footage out there. It's amazing that they filmed for so long for just a seven minute clip like mm -hmm. that. But that was an honor. Um, every time I've been on NRK or TV two, I think I've been on between the two national TV channels, a few radio shows and a national uh, or a podcast that's supported by NRK. I think I've had six appearances in the last year and that's still quite the surreal yeah. experience. Um, uh, I know what I'm doing means something, but that other people think it means something yeah. is still, uh, it's still quite humbling. Um, you know, because I don't get that direct feedback from my podcast. Right, right. Um, you know, I'll look up my stats and it'll say I have this many, you know, I have 5,000 downloads this month. But then the question is, okay, that's only downloads. How many people are listening yeah. other than that? Or, or I'll look at my YouTube channel and be like, oh my gosh, you know, there's thousands of down, of downloads and who knows, maybe tens of thousands of listeners out there on the audio platforms, but I only have 150 subscribers on my YouTube channel. What's that all about? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so there's conflicting, there's either no feedback at all or it's conflicting feedback. So then when NRK or TV2 calls and says, you know, it, it's, it's, <laughs> oh wow, Really? Me? Really? You know, it's it's quite the humbling experience and it's quite the privilege to be able to speak on the things that I'm occupied with, mm. uh, whether it's social issues, political issues, intellectual things uh, that people want to hear. What I have to say is quite humbling and I'm quite the lucky American in Norway who gets to do that. Well, uh, I'd say we're equally lucky that NRK have bothered to sort of bring you in on this because we're used to getting the Norwegian take and stuff. So yes. it's it's super valuable to have somebody who, first of all, you you at least to some extent you understand the culture. You you get Norway. I do. Yeah, I've been here 19 years. Exactly right, and you yeah. and you speak the language fully, yeah. so you're not missing anything. And right. and also you've been around. You've done a lot of different things. You've got wisdom because of uh, <laughs> you know you've been around a bit longer than me and. 
yeah, I feel like that's that's a valuable thing because Norway very often I feel like we are very oblivious to how we're perceived from the outside. Yes. Uh, and yes, in all honesty, yes. Uh, I love you guys, but, but Norway <laughs> has a tendency to to be very to look inward and not look outward. Uh, because sometimes to know yourself, you have to look outward. How are people perceiving you? How is your message being received and interpreted? And I don't think Norway as a nation, of course there's individuals, but Norway as a nation in general is not very good at doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, let's just, um, I, I just want to ask you, how surprised are you at the trajectory your life has taken? Because you've you've done a lot of different things, and here you are, as you say, you've you've had a certain number of appearances on Norwegian national TV. Not that that's the biggest limelight you can have have on you, but I'm, I'm big, assuming though. some of this must have been a surprise where your life's taken you. I guess if I think back over my life, there are certain things that have happened. I've been like, wow, that was a big twist, but but living it, living my life, yeah. I don't feel um, like it's all that extraordinary. Of course, it's it's uh, interesting enough to where I keep doing it, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but but I don't see I, I have to I have to remove myself from it and try and put myself in someone else's shoes. Again, this is that looking outward thing. And I have to start thinking, OK, this is what I'm doing. This is what I have done. How is this being interpreted by others? And I don't do that that often because that can lead to a lot of anxiety yep. that can lead to if it goes wrong. It can also lead to someone being to a person being quite arrogant. And thinking you're more than what you are, right. which I don't want to do. I want I believe in self-confidence, but I don't want to be arrogant. Yeah. Um, I, I don't. I, uh, for, for example, uh, I guess it's a series of things that uh, that uh, I wouldn't say are surprising, but that I'm proud of. Like I can give you the example of my uh, career as a police officer in the States. Um, when I applied for that job, there were over 300 people who applied for it. And I cannot remember exactly how many made the final hiring list. But of that pool of over 300 applicants, I was number one. Mm. So I'm very proud of that. And in my life resume, that is something that stands out and it's, and it's like, wow. Uh, that's impressive. But when it happened, it didn't feel impressive. Mm. If you know what I mean? Because yeah. I was living it. I'm just, I was more thankful than anything else. I didn't think of it being a, something impressive or, or something interesting or, yeah. or, or a milestone or anything like that. It's now afterwards looking back that I can say, wow, I'm proud of that. That mm. is a milestone. That was a big crossroads in my life. That was a great achievement. Mm. But I, for some reason, I don't see those things as they're happening. I, I have a tendency to be, and I was just talking about this with uh, with a good guy uh, yesterday. Um, you hear that old adage, you know, you're your own worst critic. Mm. And while there's a lot of good in that, there's also a lot of bad. Yeah, I beat myself up a lot. Nobody beats me up more than me. And I get criticized a lot, mm. but nobody does it worse than I do. Nobody does it harsher uh, than I do. So while I say that that's, that, that, reflection can sometimes lead to arrogance it can also lead to a self reconciliation to where you can feel at peace with yourself to where you can feel at rest mm. uh you can take a deep breath and say yes i'm doing the right thing because i've managed this and this and this and this up through the years mm -hmm. but you know going back to the way you formed the question is it does it seem surprising or does it seem 
extraordinary to me. Not surprising, I guess. Mm. Taking, the, for example, the thing being number one on this list of, of, of over 300 applicants. I'm not surprised by that, and I wasn't surprised in the sense back then either because I did the work and I had the background. Yeah. So it matched. <laughs> um, I guess things that surprised me are things like um, the time I got to speak with Eddie Kramer, the legendary producer, produced Jimi Hendrix. He was the sound engineer at Woodstock. And so I got to speak to that guy <laughs> for 15 minutes. Wow. Uh, just, I mean, with his full attention, um, that's something that's surprising. That's something like, um, I, I can hardly believe it happened. Yeah. Um, I had a two hour car drive with Elliot Mazur, may he rest in peace, a uh, legendary pr uh, producer for Neil Young, uh, Janis Joplin, Linda Ronstadt. Right. Uh, I got to work with him in the studio here in Norway on some music that I had written. Right. And I'm sitting here with this guy who, uh, had a hand in, in uh, what many think is Neil Young's greatest album, his Harvest album. Uh, and that's Elliot Mazur talking to me about my lyrics and saying what he likes about it. Right. You know, and, and it's <laughs> like, and I didn't, well, see, now I almost beat myself up because I almost said I didn't do anything to deserve that. Right. And that's what makes us an experience like that surprising or amazing. Okay, looking back at it from the outside, if I was someone else, I would see that and say, yeah, you know, John deserved that. I did deserve it because I wrote good music. I wrote an album which then got pitched to Elliot Mazur, which he liked, which then led to him coming here to work on more mm. music. Mm. So, and, and that's what I mean about if I can, you know, just this process of talking about that experience, I have stepped outside of the experience yeah. and I'm analyzing it. How would others see it? Yeah, others would see that and say, that's a, that's a big surprise. That's interesting. That's surprising. Yeah. Uh, that's well done by John. So, but but in the moment, you wouldn't feel like, oh, I took a wild swing and it paid off, or it, it seemed like no. you followed a natural, I obvious progression, and there's no big surprise that you wound up where you are considering each step. No, because in in those moments, I am very much in that moment, yeah. and I'm just in. I'm like, wow, this is Eddie Kramer. I'm, nothing is going through my mind about speaking about what it took for me to speak to Eddie Kramer or yeah. to have a two-hour car ride alone with Elliot Mazur. Nothing is, yeah. that, that process doesn't happen again until later, sometimes much later. Yeah. In that moment, I'm just enjoying it. That wow, I think, for, for me anyway, that wow, and maybe this goes back to my time in the Marines or my time as a police officer, but, but I guess I've learned to calm myself in those moments of, yeah, where it's naturally, norm, where it's normal to be excited. Mm -hmm. I calm myself so that I can see, feel, hear, experience everything that's going on. Keep your eye on the ball. Yeah. I remember meeting uh, Elliot Mazur. I walked into a room and he was sitting there waiting to say hi. And I had just a heartbeat where I was like, oh, Elliot. But then after that, everything mm -hmm. was, you know, I just wanted to, I wanted to be there in the moment and experience as much of Elliot Mazur mm -hmm. as I could. And it's that process of staying calm and staying in the moment, not thinking about, oh, am I going to, because this is something a lot of people talk about when they meet a celebrity or somebody they think is important. Right. They always worry about saying something stupid. I never, Yeah. that just doesn't happen. doesn't happen if I'm on television. doesn't happen uh, in situations where I'm meeting somebody famous like that. I'm so much in the moment. I just want to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can relate to that. Like uh, I'm, I, I'm not one of the people who'd be like, I'd want a picture or an autograph or something like that. I'm, I'm busy meeting this guy, mm. you know? Let's make sure that etches into yeah. my brain. I get the yeah. most out of it instead of just having a yeah. Yeah. signed little trinket. 
but 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 you know, yeah but that little trinket that little memory um oh, sure. is you know i'm not the kind of person uh snoopy sometimes if we're out and about she'll she'll have a can if we're doing something special on vacation she loves to have that camera she wants to take pictures of me and stuff I'm like, put that camera away. The experience is <laughs> yeah. here, you know? Yeah. I would rather, you know, 10 years from, of course, it's nice to see a photo from 10 years ago. Yeah. And and then you, you, you go through that, um, uh, you go through that memory, which was then stimulated by that picture. Mm. That's a great feeling. But also the raw, organic, you know, maybe if you can't quite call up that person's face yeah. or you can't quite remember, was it sunny or was it partly cloudy on that day? But that, exercise and trying to recall a distant memory is life. There's so much life in that. Mm. Right. Yeah. So I, I guess I'm a little bit different that way. I try not to be a shoulda, woulda, coulda person. Mm. Um, Do you have Snoopy for that? <laughs> she, but we, but see, we have a good balance. You know, I yeah. don't want to hang her out there too much, but she, she's in many ways, the opposite. She will rehash episodes uh in life she will um talk about what should have been done but there's but there's there's a learning moment in that uh because you can prepare yourself for the next time when you come across a similar situation you have then vocalized what went wrong you've spoken on it yeah. and it's sitting there on your hard disk and and it will guide you if a similar situation comes yeah. i'm more fly by the seat of my pants fly by night type of yeah. guy whereas she is more of the 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 critical analyst yeah uh quite harsh sometimes i think uh, yeah it's not as if this is a new idea that opposites attract and stuff like that and i think that's a, a yeah. i think that's a healthy mechanic because uh, I've, I've learned so much myself from being yeah. with people who are just yeah. i'm not like that right. at all right but i can lean into it and i can see the value of it and maybe take some yeah. of that with me we have a lot in common her and i uh um or is it she and i whose language is this snoopy and i have a lot in common a lot in common and we are very tight uh uh in our way of thinking in our in our moral views our goals and everything and and, and uh, that's one of the things that that put us together uh, so tightly so quickly because we recognize that but at the same time we are drastically yep. scarily different in some aspects but it puts spice in the relationship yep. and it strengthens the relationship um her, some of her weaknesses are my strengths and vice versa mm. so um no friction, no heat. <laughs> no, no. We always dis we discuss things. I mean, I she irritates the living daylights out of me sometimes, and yeah. I do the same with her. But we always talk about it. Communication again. Back to this thing with dialogue. Yeah. Snoopy and I talk about it, and 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 that that solves things. <laughs> is this um? Is this uh, seeing as this dialogue thing is so important to you, and I think it's thematically fitting to talk about, considering we're on a podcast, but um. Would you say that that's something that you got from your parents, your household that you grew up in? No. <laughs> um, Pay dirt. My, <laughs> my father was not the type of man who was open to discussion. He was very much uh, an authoritarian. Mm. Maybe, maybe that is what put this awareness of the importance of dialogue into my tiny little brain. Mm -hmm. Maybe that is what has driven me uh, for the greater part of my adult life. I'd say most of my adult life, if not all of my adult life, and maybe even into my late childhood, mm -hmm. has put the desire for dialogue, for talking about things into me. 
because I did not experience that uh, growing up. He was quite the authoritarian, um, uh, uh, you know, shut up. This is how I said it. What, what do you, what just, you, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the way it was. And I just don't believe, uh, I don't, I just don't believe that that's the way to go through life. <laughs> Uh, uh, whether it's inside the home or outside the home. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a quicker and easier sometimes, but, uh, sure. Sure. It's quite effective. Yeah. I work with, <laughs> I work with kids in the first grade and, uh, there's a, there's a strong authoritarian inkling yeah. in the yeah. back of my head that now, I try to fight off. Yeah. Now Snoopy and I have two kids, two teenagers, of uh, uh, 15 and 13 years old. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, they're going to listen to, to, to what we have to say. They're going to, uh, uh, we're going to insist that they do the right thing, but that absolute refusal to have any kind of dialogue is just not something I can, I can, uh, endorse mm-hmm. in, in my household. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that it's because, uh, that's exactly the way it was when I was growing up. Yeah. I'm sure that played a big part in me and my, my, my quest for dialogue. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so where did you grow up? Was it, was it Ohio? It was Ohio, a little place called, I was born in Akron, Ohio. Okay. As a capital? No. No, Akron, uh, Columbus is the capital Columbus of Ohio. Is, right. I was born up in, uh, born in Akron. Uh, that's the, the, I don't know if it still is, but at that time it was the rubber capital of the world. world. Right. That's where you have Goodyear, Goodrich, Firestone, all the tire, uh, stuff. I, I believe their headquarters are still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I was I was born there, and then when I was in third grade, so I was seven years old. It was the summer after, th- I'm sorry, the summer after second grade, that we moved from Akron to a little place called Norton, Ohio, mm. out in the country, uh, beautiful fresh air, uh, quiet, uh, uh, rural, um, and that was the summer between second and third grade. So I was what seven years old. Mm. Yeah, how'd you like it? Uh, I, I remember I loved it from day one. Yeah, it was so uh, different. Where we grew up in Akron was, you know, in the middle of a city neighborhood. I'm not sure what the population in Akron was at that time, but I want to say it's maybe four hundred thousand now. So I don't know what it was then. Let's say it was at least two. You know, it was a, a good sized city, mm-hmm. and um, and I don't want to say it was a bad experience because it was a good experience. We grew up right next door to uh, our three of our cousins. And then right down the road were three more cousins. So we were a group of nine cousins who were more like brothers and sisters right. running around, you know, the neighborhood. Um, we had both sets of grandparents and uh, a couple sets of aunts and uncles, three, four sets of aunts and uncles within a three block radius. <clears throat> so that was a great way to grow up. But I, and, and I should ask my mother about this because I don't know, but I would imagine that at that point when we moved, they probably started to see some things changing in that city because uh the way it is now i would not want to live there i would not want to raise my children there i'm sorry to my friends uh back home who are either in akron or in the akron area but akron is a dump as far as i'm concerned i couldn't live i couldn't live there Mm. uh the crime is is in my opinion from my perspective out of control Mm -hmm. uh murders are common Mm. (laughs) i don't know what the stats are but but it, it's common. Um, there's issues with racism and segregation there. And I would guess that my parents, now my father was a police officer, a high-ranking police officer for the Akron PD, and my mother worked in the federal court system. Right. 
So they had the means to move us, and they did. And I would imagine it's because maybe they saw the writing on the wall about what was happening. They would have had their finger on the pulse in terms of... Probably, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, especially my, my father, I mean, mm. cop, local cop, you mm. know. So um, I would guess that they saw the writing on the wall, and that's why we moved. So we go from that city environment to quite the rural environment where... Uh, uh, I can remember, here's how, here's how, I mean, there were so many changes, so many things that were different, but uh, I can remember um, maybe the first or second day after we had been out and meeting some of the kids, I can't even call it a neighborhood. We just called it the kids on our road. Right, right. Uh, uh, after meeting them and playing with them, and I came back uh, to get a drink of water, or maybe to eat lunch or something. And my mom says, uh, uh, you out there, you having fun? I said, yeah, I need to, to, to eat or, or drink or whatever. And then we're going to go back out. We're going in the woods and we're going to go down by the Creek, mm. the Creek, not the Creek, <laughs> Yeah, not the Creek, the Creek yeah, acclimated quickly, very quickly. Um, so there was, there was small changes like that. You know, this whole experience with having a, uh, you know, in the city, it was pretty much like a posted stamp, front yard you know right. just a little square grass a little square grass in the back and here we had uh an acre and a half which was like six mole mm. and then behind that was acres maybe maybe uh, maybe a hundred mole so suddenly and then you go free across, range and then you go across <laughs> the street and there's like five six eight maybe a thousand square mole uh, to use the Norwegian measure, measurement for for uh, for land, uh, so a lot of lot of open space, and it was fascinating. Yeah, I can remember. Um, that's where my love of nature started. I was, was going to say it wasn't wasted on you. You were an outdoorsy kid. Absolutely, uh, I can remember getting up on a Saturday morning, uh, eating breakfast, watching a little a few cartoons, and then be gone either in the woods towards the back of the house or across the road in the field and just lay down in, I mean, this sounds so cliche like, but just lay down in the grass in that field and you literally disappear because that grass would grow. Later on, they planted corn there, but for the first years we were there, it was just grass. Mm. You know, the grass is like, you know, you know a meter and a half high. Mm. So you lay down that grass and you just disappear and then you're, the thoughts just wander. Mm. You know, I, that's, I did that a lot mm. as a kid that age. So it's, it's, it, it was quite formative, um, for me. Um, but it wasn't all roses right? because the first day of school, uh, third grade, remember first day of school. And this is after a whole summer of playing with kids and, and having fun and all this stuff. Uh, the bus pulls up. <clears throat> I've told this story before on the podcast, but a lot of people may not have heard this. The bus pulls up. My sister and I are there at the bus stop. And the door opens on the school bus. And we hear uh, all the kids on the bus. I don't know how many. There were 20, 30 kids on the bus. All of them chanting, ooh, ooh, ah, ah, send them back to Africa. Ooh, ooh, ah, ah, send them back to Africa. Right? Yeah. Now, here's how innocent we were. Right. Um, this is childhood innocence. We were so, my sister and I were so innocent. We had no idea, no recognition, uh, uh, as to the, the racist, uh, disgusting racism in those kids chanting that. Yeah. It just sounded, you know, 
you know, you go to you go to a soccer match. It's just a chant. You go to a soccer match and everybody's chanting, and you kind of you, you get a little chills, and you're like, oh, 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 or whatever yeah. they, whatever you crazy Europeans do at these soccer matches. Excuse me, football football matches. I'm, I'm not that fussy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and so so it was just so we get on the bus and we sit down, and they're still chanting this, and we join in. We did oh. that. I can't remember how long we did that until we figured out. Yeah. You know that the ooh ooh part was like them making monkey, monkey sounds, ape yeah. sounds and send them back to Africa. You know, it was us that they wanted to send. You know, in our mind, what, what Africa had nothing to do. You know, what, what is that? You know, we, we just came here from Akron. Mm. Are they mispronouncing Akron? Yeah. Is that, <laughs> it, it 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 just it just didn't register, and I'm not sure when it did. Yeah. But for quite some time, that's what we were met with every time we got on the bus. That's messed up. It's very messed up. Um. It's interesting, and here we go back to dialogue. I see a lot of my old friends, uh, some of them who I haven't, uh, uh, I've had so little contact with them since high school that I've almost forgotten who they are. Mm. But I'll see them from time to time comment on social media. Oh, these black people, why don't they, you know, why do they have to make everything about race, mm. for example? Right. Uh, you know, the answer is, you know, when I was in third grade, it was all about race. Mm. And I didn't make it that way, you did. You know, or, or, you know, my, my, my classmates did. Yeah. And it's, it, and it's, it's interesting and, 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 and to tell the truth, quite sad that I see some of those old classmates who have that way of thinking about uh, uh, racism when that is what I was met with. Right. When I first came there. For them or, then to be dismisses of it when it's amazing. you get it from kids at that age. It is absolutely yeah. amazing because yeah. they, I know they remember I know they do, uh, because it wasn't just in third grade. There were incidents. I would say up until I was in seventh grade, because in in the in the states uh, at that time anyway, uh, you had middle school, which was fifth to eighth grade. So the eighth graders, you know, they were the big kids, and I was cons consistently challenged because I was very athletic, but I was also black. Right. Uh, so there was a there was this this challenge thing that that some of the white kids the white boys saw in that, so they would challenge me all the time. They would call me nigger. They would they would you know do all that stuff. So I was fighting rather consistently up until seventh grade, when by that time I guess it took them that long. I, I never lost a fight. Mm -hmm. I whooped a lot of ass up to those believe years. It. <laughs> yeah, I was always extremely athletic. I mean, mm -hmm. very athletic and and. Uh, you know, bigger and stronger than, than everybody else. I was never taller. I was always kind of stubby as I still am, but, but bigger, stronger and, and more athletic. Uh, but they, 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 they just didn't give up mm. until I was in seventh grade. And by that time I was so much more physical than them that finally that racism, that torment from those people who were being racist to me stopped. Mm. Now I've said before, that I don't think very many of those kids were racist. And here's something that I still, I have an inner debate about, and I'd like to externalize that debate. But I've, I've, I've said before or, and thought uh, before that those kids weren't really racist because how can you be, you know, seven, 10, you know, 14 years old and be racist? You don't know anything about life. How can you be a racist? How can that racist indoctrination already be so embedded in you that you can call 
yourself a racist. That's like, I don't believe that like a, 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 a six year old can say they're religious. Right. They can be they, they can have begun to learn about religion, but how can they be religious? They don't know enough. They don't have that life experience. So I've, I've always said, and I don't know if this is me trying to protect the nostalgia of my hometown. Right. Uh, but I've always said that I don't think those kids were truly racist. I think they were just repeating the behavior they saw from their parents. Yeah, I was going to say monkey see, monkey do, exactly. ironically. Uh, <laughs> well, I was the monkey. I was a black No, kid. I'm switching it. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. So, yeah, it, it, monkey see, monkey do. Uh -huh. uh, and, I, and I've always held on to that. But then the question is, and, and I'm, I'm, I just have this internal uh, philosophical dialogue with, or, or debate with myself. The question then becomes, well, when did they become racist? Yep. Or when did they at least become racially insensitive? Or when did they become bigoted? When does that finally click in? Yeah. And this is what they are. Now you're a racist. Now you're a bigot. This is a, this is a thing I struggle with, too. I try not to opine too much right now because I feel like I don't want to put the spotlight on me or anything because we want to hear what you have to say. But uh, my thoughts on that subject is that it's it's obviously, as you say, like if a, if a child is doing sexually inappropriate things at age six, seven, they've probably been yes. the target of something like that. And sure. they're doing what they had done to them. Sure. You know? But, uh, and, and you want to be understanding of that and be like, oh, well, this guy had no chance. He's going to wind up on the road he's at. But uh, at some age, you have to be like, okay, you're your own agent. Yeah. You're going to have to take some responsibility. We wouldn't have a legal system if it weren't for that, right? Right, exactly. So that's a, that's a real tough one. But I think everybody could benefit from the exercise of being like, okay, what made them this way? Nobody wants to be a bad person. Nobody no. wants to be disliked. No. There's, uh, there's pain behind that. You could... Sure. And again, back to what I said before, I will never give up on a racist or a bigot mm. or someone who's uh, socially ignorant. I won't give up on them mm. because you don't know what made them that way. I think in those cases, a lot of times, they're also probably looking to have you react in a bad way so, so they can reinforce their narrative. Exactly. Right. Again, because they're insecure, because mm. they know they're on shaky ground intellectually. Yeah. Or not, not intellectually, but, uh, but ideology, uh, as far as our ideology goes, mm. they're on shaky ground and they know that. Yeah. And that goes back to what I said that I wonder if there is actually a racist out there who does not know that they're full of shit. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't uh, know. It's a thought. It's a thought to have. I would love to be in somebody else's brain just for, I, I only yeah. have one baseline. I have one brain. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, even just uh, yours. I think you and I, you, you know, there's a lot of crossover in our opinions. Sure, but sure. Uh, I think even you and I would have like uh, some mind-blowing experiences if we just got inside of somebody else's brain, even if well, maybe you shouldn't, we agree with Well, them. maybe you shouldn't delete some of those comments you say. You, you type it out <laughs> and then delete it. Not, let them stand. Let them stand. I can't. I'm one of those people. Be sitting there and when I get a notification, I get a mm. rush of anxiety. Well, well, I had to grow. I had to grow into this uh, social media uh, uh, person that I am. Yeah. Uh, I think when when Facebook first came out, I didn't understand what it was for, and I was, I just didn't, I just didn't get it. Mm. Um, and I didn't use it in the right way, and and some of the stuff I put out was just stupid and, and shouldn't have been ex exposed and stuff. So I think I think people have to mature into optimal use mm -hmm. i almost said proper use there's no proper use but optimal use of social media you got to think what are you trying to accomplish by posting or by responding to a post what is your what is your goal well for me my goal number one is to have dialogue and show people what happens with a dialogue on social media uh it's the exchange of ideas it's uh it can be the spreading of humor mm. uh, the spreading of uh, motivation inspiration and happiness it can be just a simple thing of staying in contact with people who I otherwise 
you know, wouldn't be in contact, you know, some of my old, old friends, you yeah. know, from way back when I would, I, because I live here so far away, I just wouldn't have any contact with them at all if it wasn't for social media. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, and for other people, their purpose is to troll, see how many people they can own. I hate that word. Yeah. I'm go- I owned him. You know, what, what is that? You know, it, so, but again, you know, people have different goals. People have different uses for social media. Maybe they have to do that for some reason. Maybe that's an outlet of some sort. You and I, you and I like to do stand up, and and nothing is better than when you say something that's designed to get laughs. Get laughs. Yes. I guess these guys get the same kind of thing from. Oh, that guy got triggered. Well, I I I'd like to think that I can recognize a, a, a troll who is trolling to be funny. Because mm. I can laugh. Well, I'm that. not saying they're trying to be funny. I'm saying they're trying to mess up somebody's day and to be to basically make a ripple in the world. I think. Well, yeah, and that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, if you're if you're trolling to be funny, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. harsh but funny, I get that. It's yeah. funny, and I'll laugh, and mm. it can be quite entertaining. Yeah. But for those who troll just for the trollness of it, just yeah. to just to be mean, just to hurt, yeah. excuse me, just to hurt someone, uh, just to cause that negative wave, I. I yeah, I don't know. I don't get it. I yeah. really don't. Do they really picture that as their best selves? This is how they want to... It might be their best self. Yeah. It just might be. <laughs> um, all right, then. Uh, I just want to make sure we touch in on... Because you've, you've done a lot of... I got a diverse CV. Yeah. I do have a diverse CD, but nothing like yours. Yes. Uh, uh, what was your first steps into the work life? My first step into the work into work life was my friend, uh, best friend at the time, Dean Beto was his name. Mm-hmm. I want to say I was in was I in I don't know sixth or seventh grade. I got a summer job at his dad's farm. Uh, uh, his dad was actually a principal of the high school as well, mm-hmm. and they had a big farm, one of the larger farms that we were. And I got a got a job there for that summer with Dean. Uh, we. And to be honest, I don't know what our job was. I can tell you what we did, though. Yeah. <laughs> we, would, we would start off the tractor and drive it out into the field uh, and just goof around all day mm. long. Mm. Um, but then when it was time to, uh, you know, to, to bale the hay, load up the hay and stuff, we, we would do that. Yeah. Um, so that was my first intro. I can't believe I got paid for that, though. <laughs> I'm sure Mr. Beto knew we were just screwing around. Yeah. But it gave me something to do. It got me out of the house and away from. Yeah, I spoke about that authoritarian, uh, right? Authoritarian uh, household got me out of that. Um, cemented my friendship with Dean at the time, and, and it was it was a, a, a lot of laughs. Mm-hmm. So that was the first job uh, that I had, and then after that, I had no job until I walked away from my college scholarship. No job at all until then. Uh, that's something that Snoopy and I kind of butt heads about because I believe that a kid should, well, okay. We live in the city now, so I understand that there's not that opportunity to be outdoors in a outdoor fantasy, you know, like a hundred acre woods, like Winnie the Pooh and Christopher Mm -hmm. Robin. Mm -hmm. You can't do that here in the middle of a city, but I'm one who believes, and this is because of my childhood that a kid should you know, your a kid's job is school. Mm-hmm. And when school is out, a kid's job is nothing. Yeah. Chores around the house and all that stuff. But other than that, nothing. Get out there and expand your, your imagination, your fantasy, and mm-hmm. have fun with your friends. Whereas Snoop grew up 
picking strawberries right uh from the age of i don't know six or seven oh. out there in uh, in hudum uh, nobody made her do it, but she did it to make you know make a little bit of change. Mm. She said she ate most of her profit, but <laughs> she would just be eating them as she was picking. But uh, and 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 she she grew up on construction sites with her father. Mm. I told you before we went on the mic, he was well known in Norway in Norway at one point for his work with uh, with uh, concrete. Yeah, he built a lot of the bridges that you see along the along the uh, the roads uh, going further north. Mm-hmm. He was one of the brains behind you know the concrete supports of that so it's really really interesting he was quite act he was quite active after uh world war ii uh uh working rebuilding the country yeah yeah quite active with that he was also one of the first underwater welders you know when they have the big fish tank helmet on yeah yeah, he was one of the first first guys to do that after the war as well so he was quite the guy uh, may he rest in peace. Kindest man I've ever known in my life. That that her father, Snoopy's father, is the man who has been the kindest, warmest, and shown me the most love of any male figure in my life. So I miss him terribly. Uh, so hats off to him. Hedley Erickson is his name. Hedley Erickson. Uh, anyway, uh, what was I talking about? You were talking about uh, <laughs> Snoopy and you butting heads about yes about the kids. Yeah, mm-hmm. she wants the kids to to work. Mm-hmm. Um. And I don't, mm. but I see the value in them starting their work life as, you know, as much as they can as young teenagers, I can, I can see the value in that. It will give them a discipline that I didn't have because I never worked. Mm. And, and, and I, you know, I showed up on time and I, and I did my job and all that stuff when I finally started working, but, but it was quite the shock because mm. I'd never done it before. Yeah. Uh, and, and here I am, I'm a 20 year old, you know, uh, um, and I've got to learn how to work, right? <laughs> you know, so I see the advantage in that. Um, so my introduction to the work life came very late. I don't count that job on the farm with my friend Dean Beto as a job. No, it's dipping your toes, right? We were just goofing around, yeah. and we got thrown, you know, five dollars for a week. It's yeah. worth of goofing around. That's like mowing lawns when you're a kid, yeah. right? Exactly. Well, it was. It wasn't even that because in <laughs> mowing lawns, you can see that there's been some work done. <laughs> <laughs> so, so. Um, but I guess I, I got a work ethic uh, in college uh, at the university of uh, at Ohio University um, as a football player. I got a football scholarship. Okay, I was going to ask you what the scholarship was yes, about. I assume uh, it was something to do with that. I was, that, a, I was a badass in American football. Yeah, I, was, yeah. I was a running back. So I got a full scholarship to go to Ohio University. And um, um, I guess even, bo- let me go back, even before that I had a work ethic because of my sports ath- athletics already. Uh, starting in junior high, you know that work, and that's what made me such a good athlete. I very quickly recognized that if you do the work, you will get the results. Mm. I noticed that uh, immediately. So all I did was then uh, nurture my talent by training harder and more effective and more and 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 feeling those results. And okay, so if I do this now, I'll get better results. Oh yeah, that worked. If I do this now, you know. So when when other guys on the football team, you know, we would run the bleachers, you know, run up the stairs right, right. and down, up and down. Uh, when they were done, I would then go and run sprints extra by myself. Oh, you were that guy. <laughs> I was one of, yeah, and I, I was one of the guys who was, you know, I was already lifting weights uh, at the age of 10, mm. uh, lifting weights at home. You know, I was one of the guys who had a quite structured training program already by 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 eighth grade, you know, by the age of twelve. 
structured program, you know, with progression yeah. and everything. I didn't just go in and throw some weight around like most of the other kids are doing. I had a structured program. So you had targets. So, and, exactly. Yeah. So I knew that thing about setting goals, um, yeah. about having discipline. So I wasn't clueless when I finally went out into the into the work life because mm. I had that athletic background, which I think is 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 quite transferable over to life. Absolutely, in general. especially when you talk about team sports, where you have to relate to absolutely. Well, I would say even more when it has to do with the individual sports. For example, bodybuilding or now powerlifting for me, okay. um, because then you 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 are relying. Okay, yeah, you learn something about teamwork and stuff in team sports, obviously. Mm -hmm and the value of that and how you deal with different personalities. But in, the, in an individual sport like powerlifting, you learn about yourself. Right. That's your greatest asset. You can't rely yourself. on anybody else. Exactly. <laughs> your greatest asset is yourself. Yeah. You know, in a team sport, if you slack off for yeah. a whole week and you're not training properly or, or as intensely as you should, your teammates can pick up the slack. But in powerlifting, if you don't train properly for a competition, you're not going to do well. It's also the other way around, though. You can let down the rest of the team if you don't do yes. your part. Yes, and again, so, uh, there's the value of teamwork, yeah. of, of team sports, rather. That, that that lesson in teamwork is is there, front and center, in team sports. But Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure that's the case in uh, powerlifting and stuff, too. Like, you have coaches, you have people around you, yeah. and you have to... I don't have coaches. Oh, actually. well. <laughs> I, I am one of those people who, you know, in, in the States, people will... You know, it's a larger powerlifting environment, so yeah. people will train together yeah. and learn from each other. Or they'll pay for some rather expensive but highly competent. Uh, in fact, the episode coming out tomorrow, I'm speaking with a guy named, uh, you guys will hear, I'm speaking with a guy named Ross uh, Lepola, who um, works for RTS, Reactive Training Systems, which is one of the most productive. I, I do believe on a world basis they have the most world champions of any training system out there uh, based in the United States and um, so so people in the States have that kind of access to mm -hmm. expert training here in Norway you have your club trainer and mm -hmm. many of them are quite good at what they do uh, you have the national team Lanslog, Lanslog's trainer um, uh, highly competent but I'm in this special situation where um I don't like people. No, <laughs> I, I, I don't. It's very rare, you know, now because of my injuries and when I'm not training uh, hardly at all. But when I do train, I train alone. Um, I have um, now I have my own home gym. Uh, before I got my home gym, before COVID hit, I was training at a gym here locally, not at the club, not at the powerlifting club, but at a regular gym mm. where on Sundays, I have a couple of good friends of mine, uh, Knut Olav and uh, Lars, or, um, yeah, and Lars and Anders, a couple of three good friends who on Sundays would usually show up and they would motivate me uh, 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 and they would be there, you know, supporters and, and they would train somewhat with me. But for the most part, I was alone on those Sundays. Mm -hmm. And then on my other training days, I was alone. Now, uh, I have a friend who, a Norwegian lady who lives in the States, uh, named Hege Nielsen. Uh, usually she spends the summer here in Norway with her mother. And, and when she's here, uh, she and I do train together. 
And when I've posted training videos, I'll hashtag tiny little coach. And that's, that's her. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that's Snoopy, but it's not. It's my friend. It's my friend. Hager. <laughs> yeah. That would have thrown me. Yeah. Yeah. It's my friend Hager. Uh, and we do train together, but she's not a coach per se. Uh, I do my own programming. I do my own, uh, self-critique through video. I, I, I take videos uh, of my training sessions. So, so, so even, you know, as, as I say, powerlifting is an individual f- uh, sport. For me, it is even more individual because I am not training at the club. I haven't hired a trainer. Mm. I'm very much alone. And I joked and said I don't like people, but I guess when it comes to training my powerlifting, I don't like outside influence. Mm. It, for me, it's so cerebral. Uh, even on those Sundays and, and don't get me wrong. I love those brothers who show up on those Sundays or used to show up when I was training at that gym would show up on those Sundays. I loved the motivation, but when I would get under that bar to do my lift mm. and that was my squat day when, on Sundays, when I would get under that bar to squat, it's all business mm-hmm. and I'm not really listening to listening to any coaching cues or anything like that. I'm doing this lift and it's very cerebral and it's tunnel vision. When you say cerebral, is that like how it is for you? You're in your own head yes. and stuff. Okay. I mean, it's it's from it's. It, I have a routine. I can I can. I'll try and verbalize it. Sure. Uh, my belt is always hanging over the bar. Grab the belt, put the belt around my waist. Don't close it up yet. Deep breath. Deep breath. Deep breath. Put the belt together. Grab the bar. Deep breath. Deep breath. Under the bar. Stand up. Step, step, set, squat. That's my routine. Mm -hmm. And it's the same. I could repeat it again. And I would say the exact same thing because it's the same routine. And if I had a coach there saying, tighten up, (laughs) lift your head up, you know, it's going to break that mantra. It's going to break me out of that pattern that I've created for myself. And I believe that focus is what put me on the path to, uh, to, to to holding the Norwegian uh, raw, uh, as they say here in Norway, the raw uh, squat record, which, which I got at, at the age of 50. Pretty darn cool. I it's very say. cool. It's very cool. Um, I, I, I worked, you know what? I want to say that is one of my greatest accomplishments. I mean, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't bring <laughs> me fame and fortune, but it's one of my greatest accomplishments because from the... <laughs> From my very first powerlifting competition, which was here in Norway in 2015, 2015 I won uh, the Estefjelds Regional Championship mm-hmm. and set a squat record mm-hmm. uh, um, for my for my age group. Not the, not an not an all time record, but for my age group, I set a record that first uh, competition. And I didn't really know what I was doing, didn't really know what to expect. Right. I hadn't had optimal training. I was nervous. But when I achieved that, I says, I think I know what I can do. Mm. I think I'm going to go for the all-time squat record. Mm. And then a couple of days after that, I stopped saying, I think I'm going to. I said, I'm going to. So everything I've done, it has been a film going in my head where I've been repeating that scene where I have that bar on my back and I'm squatting, you know, 300 mm. X pounds and getting that record. Um, when you put that much thought into something, and again, here's where sports, here's where athletics can be transferred to life. When you put that much thought 
and time and visualization into something. And when you achieve it, it says something about your character. It says something about what you can achieve, you can achieve outside of that. Mm. Um, what I went through in boot camp and how I did in boot camp, in Marine Corps boot camp, told me a lot about who I am and what I'm, I'm able to achieve. Uh, what I did as a police officer told me again mm. who I am and what I can achieve. And everything I've done in my athletic career has lifted me further and told me that I can achieve it. Um, I'm just I'm just so proud of that achievement. I mean, not only is it the all-time record, it's a record that I got at the age of 50. Mm-hmm. So if you if you're out there and you and you're telling yourself, and I know people do this, especially men, will tell themselves, "Oh gosh, you know, I'm 35. It's all mm-hmm. downhill now." Really? Is it? Mm-hmm. Does it have to be? Do you want it to be? Because yeah. it, it it you can continue to perform f- physically. You can become uh, a better performer physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you age, mm. of course, it's going to stop at some point, mm. but who says it has to stop at whatever age? There are second acts. I can point you to my there's man, John acts. Allen. <laughs> <laughs> and there's third acts as well. You know, something, yeah, you know, the third act will be coming soon. Right now I'm down for the count because of all these, this neck surgery and yeah, all yeah. these shoulder surgeries. I have at least one or two shoulder surgeries Time, to go. Timing's pretty all right. Because the world was at a standstill anyway, no? I, I, I think so. Um, you know, I started this podcast, you know, the world was at a standstill. But I got around that standstill by by just buying what I needed for my home gym. I have everything I need here at home yeah. to train powerlifting, which I think is going to make it an even more alone thing, an even more cerebral uh, right. uh, journey for me because now I'm literally alone with zero distractions. And of course I will miss having people there and I'll invite people to come here. Maybe sometimes I'll show up at the powerlifting club or I'll show up at the gym, but I can see going forward in act three of my athletic career, you know, high school and college uh, football was act one. Uh, My most recent powerlifting prestations was act two. Act three is going to be even more of a solo thing, even more cerebral. Mm. I can see it coming, but I'll, I'll invite people in or I'll go visit other gyms and train. No, that's uh, that's uh, pretty cool to be able to reach a summit. Even though I keep down playing, uh, you know, winding up on TV in Norway, taking records in Norway. It is a small pool, but you, it's still pretty cool to become a big fish. There's motivated, driven people in Norway too, and you uh, you flew past them. Well, you, well, thank you for that. But that's that's good that you say that um, because you know you're in the fishbowl that you are in. And then the question becomes, well, what are you going to do while you're there? So that it's not that big of a pool to pull from. That is quite true. But then you could flip because a lot of people, and they've done this quite recently on my podcast. Mm. Someone has kind of thrown that in my face right, in a real snarky way. And I wish they just would have said it straightforward instead of trying to be cute. Yeah, But they tried to say something like, well, you've been here for, you know, been here for almost 20 years and you've had a lot of time to do do stuff and norway's not that big da, 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 da. it's only because you were a cop at one point and, da, 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 and this and that and i could flip that mm-hmm. and say that yeah because norway is such a small place and there aren't that many people to to compete against how come you aren't a superstar say, yeah. <laughs> how come you aren't a superstar yeah but 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 that's not my way, you know. That's not my way, and 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 uh, and this person was a guest guest on my podcast, and I'm, right. I don't want to. And, and again, I'm trying to. 
and, and you get a read for people. You can read who you can say something like that to, and will they explode? Mm. And it's going to degenerate. The, 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 the dialogue is going to degenerate into insults. You know who those people are. Mm. And you just kind of weigh things up. You take a deep breath, and you display that so-called legendary patience, yep. and, you just, and you just go on. But, I mean, it, it's, it's a good thing that you brought that up because I, I'll say this, you know, to that person, like I said, I was tempted to say, well, why aren't you a superstar because Norway is so small? Yeah. But I'll, I, I will soften it up and kind of redirect it and put it out there as a motivation to anyone who may be listening. And I'll say, yes, Norway is a very small place. And within this small place, you can really shine mm. if you nurture your talents. You have to first recognize your talents. What are you good at? Mm. And when you recognize what you're good at, if you're not satisfied with that, you have to ask, well, what do you want to be good at? And then you start down the path to become good at what you want to be good at or better at the things that you're already good at. Mm -hmm. And you find a way to optimize it. Mm -hmm. And then you'll see where that leads you. Mm -hmm. You know, so to, so to an asshole, I think in my head, I don't say it out loud, but I think in my head, well, how come you're not a superstar if Norway is so small and if this, that, and the other? Yeah. But to the people who I love and who I hope can learn something, I say, yes, Norway is small. Find your talents or develop your talents mm. as you would have them and then see what you can do in this country because there's a lot of opportunity here. And because there are so few people here, those that are good at what they do, they really stand out. Mm. Um and of and, course, you can graduate to the next level if you want. Well, absolutely. Well, absolutely. And there is this thing called the world outside of Norway. <laughs> so once you've re you've reached a level of success here in Norway, you can then begin to market yourself or 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 um, uh, expose yourself outside of Norway's borders. Mm. This could just be a uh, uh, you know this could be a slingshot for you. It's it's based in Norway, but through this you can reach other places. Um, I mean, I'm doing that with my podcast. People can sit anywhere in the world and listen to this, mm. right? So I found my slingshot and I fired it, you know. Mm. So, so my thing is to people, uh, to, to, to say to people is, is yes, Norway's a small place, but don't look at that as a negative. Look at it as a screaming opportunity for you. Mm. Whatever you're doing, whether it's stand-up, whether it's music, if you're a writer, you know, write that book. Uh, if you're, if you're, you're an actor, actress, um, Whatever you do, you have the opportunity to really stand out because of that thing that people often try to put into a negative, like that fact that Norway is so small. Mm -hmm. Turn it into a positive thing. It's, uh, that's, what, that's what I did, and it works for me to look at it that way. Yeah. I, would, uh, I would be inclined to take your advice because, uh, you know, your track record speaks for itself. You've uh, taken a lot of different things and, and been able to sort of push it a bit and... Uh, uh, the first thing I knew about you was that you were a musician. Yes. Uh, I don't know if it's coming in on the shot. But evident from the a, room, yeah. yeah. This is where I record all my music. Uh, when did that start? Uh, well, I've, I've been a music lover my entire life. I yeah. grew up with a lot of music in the house. My father used to hear all kinds of, I can remember him playing like the Stones, Beatles, mm. or, uh, Neil Young. Uh, so I got that rock and roll, you know, pop stuff from him. But my mother was more into um, uh you know, what we would call old school R&B uh, and, and soul, yeah. you know, from the 70s and 80s. Uh, I got that from my mother. And then uh, growing up in this rural, uh, almost exclusively white uh, uh, small town, 
they were all into to uh, yeah, you know, what we would call today classic rock. You know, Van Halen and Kiss, mm. uh, Boston, Zeppelin, uh, Zeppelin, all that stuff. So I had this wash of different types of music hitting me constantly. My grandmother loved uh, country music. She's mm. a beautiful mountain lady from Kentucky. She loved Willie Nelson. You know, right. so so there's all kinds of <clears throat> music that I got hit with uh, all through my childhood. One of my earliest memories is, uh, I don't know if you how familiar you are with Neil Young, but on his third album, there's a beautiful song called After the Gold Rush. It's a piano ballad that he sings, and then there's a French horn solo, <laughs> of all things. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, one of my earliest memories is I can remember being in that house in Akron, so this was, you know, I, I, I couldn't have been older than three, maybe four years old, right. and hearing that song blasting over... The radio, the, the stereo system there in the house in that French horn. Mm -hmm. One of my earliest memories. Yeah. So music is has always been there. My mother, um, uh, she's not much of a vocalist now. She smokes too much, so her voice is gone. <laughs> but she used to be a wonderful vocalist. Uh, I used to love hearing her sing. She'd sing all the time at home. Uh, uh, she used to play the piano a lot. Uh, uh, my sister took piano lessons for a while, and I taught myself how to play. I would look at her lesson books and I would, I, all of a sudden I was playing piano, uh, self-taught. So I had a thing for music uh, at a very early age. And then it got to the point where I could sit next to my mother on the piano. We'd play songs together and sing together mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, I can remember in first grade, uh, this is when we were still in Akron, in first grade, this beautiful teacher, uh, Miss Ivy was her name. A real light-skinned black lady with... Uh, like a short, uh, almost like a short 60s beehive mm -hmm. haircut. And she had those thin black cat cat eye glasses. Yeah. I mean, so 70s, about as 70s as you can get. Mm -hmm. Music teacher, I can remember her telling me, uh, coming up to me and saying, uh, John, you have a beautiful voice. Don't ever stop singing. She told me that mm -hmm. in first grade, and I'll never forget that. So I've been singing <clears throat> as much as I can ever since then. Uh, during my time in the Marines, um, I used to go to this uh, club on Okinawa, and I would sing with the house band there um, uh, a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that was my first experience. At, well, I sang in church, of course. So that was a little experience of singing in front of people. That's where I learned my sense for harmony, by mm -hmm. the way. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you guys would call it, uh, uh, like, today stemmed harmony, or something, you know, different, mm -hmm. you know, different chorus uh uh, vocalizations. That's I learned that in church. Mm -hmm. You're gonna find some of the best singing uh, that there is to find in black churches. <laughs> if you didn't know that, um, so so then uh, uh, when I was in the Marines, that was actually my first time being on stage with a microphone singing pop or rock music. I used to sing stuff like Ingve Malmsteen, uh, Deep Purple. You know this rock stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Say again. Ingvar Monstein. Ingvar Monstein, yeah, yeah. You choose that as a vocalist. Uh, like he does move uh, guitar well, for. Well, he, he's a guitarist, but he, but he always had great vocalists in his band. Yeah, yeah. Power uh, metal vocalists with the vibrato yeah, yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I was singing that stuff there yeah. uh, when I was on Okinawa, Japan. Uh, but that was a short-lived thing, and it was only from time to time when I had yeah. the time to go to that club and get on stage and sing. So it wasn't until I came to Norway. Um, that I got more professionally and actively into music. I started writing, started writing for a great Norwegian band, my friends and brothers. They're called the Remy Brothers Band, mm -hmm. Norwegian band. Most of them are from Lied, and a couple of them are from Oslo. 
started writing for them. Um, uh, so far, they have two records. I wrote the entire first album of theirs and a little more than half, like 60% of their second album. Um, so that was my introduction to professional musicianship. And then quite early, I think it was in 2004, that I started my own band, uh, gathered up a bunch of great musicians. It was uh, Paul Emil Berg on the drums, Thomas Fritze on the bass, Knut Ingolf Brenner on the guitar, uh, Christopher Tongen on the keyboards. And I wrote, this, wrote the music and, and sang. And those guys contributed a lot by, you know, rearranging the songs and, and, and coming with that musical uh, finesse, you know, that added to the songs that I had presented to mm. the band. So this was in 2004. I can remember, I played at, uh, do you remember Smuge in yeah. Oslo? Oh, yeah, yeah. Legendary, uh, I believe they've reopened, but they're called something else now. But at, back then they were called Smuga, and they were legendary, uh, you know, famous. Music. Prince played there yeah. like, after shows. I after remember party. the name. I was too young to yeah, hit this up is the a little, scenes. It might but... be before your time. Yeah, Prince played there. Eric Clapton has been there. I believe yeah. Bruce Springsteen has walked in unannounced and played there. And John Allen. And John, John, John Allen has been there. Uh, it was, uh, I believe it was in 2005, that, because my, let me back up a little bit. My dream, and I had heard about Smuga before I came to Norway, because mm. like I said, all these famous mm. uh, artists and, and, and musicians had played there. So when I came here, I'm like, I want, I would love to perform at Smuga. But you never really think it's going to happen. It's just something, it's like a what if. Yeah, right? yeah. So they used to have this showcase evening where uh, new and unknown, or, or, or not necessarily new, but an unknown band or artist could open for a known artist and uh snoopy in all of her aggressiveness uh pitched me and my band called Lo loyal oak john allen and loyal oak was the name of uh, the, your production the company right yes yeah <laughs> uh i'll tell i'll tell you where the name loyal oak came from yeah. uh, later but uh so snoop goes in there and really hyped us up and told them you know we got it so we got a spot and i wish i could remember who we opened for it was a it was a girl group I'm sorry, a female group, three vocalists, and I believe they played acoustic guitar, and I cannot remember who they were. If you guys look look around 2004, 2005, who was popular, you'll find them. It was three Norwegian ladies uh, that we opened for. So um, we go to Smuga, and on, I believe it was like the second song that we had, the first song was kind of rockish, Second song was a little more funky. And there's this breakdown in the song where the band just kind of vamps a little. And I, you know, I've sang a couple of verses. So I'm like, hey, let me say something to the crowd. So I said, and this is a funky song, right? Mm -mm. But cool slap bass and all this stuff, real funky. And I say to the crowd, y'all can dance if you want to. All right. And the whole crowd is just standing and looking at me like, why, why would we, why would we do that? Right? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this sucks. They hate me. Yeah. And then, but, but then I just stopped trying to relate to the crowd, and I just had fun, and I got through the set. But I'm thinking, okay, this is an important gig. This is Smuga. The word's going to get out that I suck. Yeah. I ruin things for the guys in the band. I get off the stage, and I couldn't leave for like an hour and a half mm -hmm. because everybody was coming up, complimenting me, yeah. talk, wanted to talk. And, and I, it, it was my introduction to how different a Norwegian audience is mm. compared to an American audience. They were sitting there. Some of them were literally like this. Yeah. 
and 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 you know with this the the, the yeah the furrow and 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 that doesn't tell me that you like what's happening that tells me that you're really skeptical and you're just yeah. not into it i'm guarded but, and but yeah. but but i i found out that at least in, at that time the people who would go to smuga especially on these showcase nights they were the professionals mm. they were All musicians right. themselves some of them were managers uh you know so they were in the business yeah so they go there maybe to enjoy themselves but yeah. they go there to analyze yeah, but they, i didn't know that yeah that's a totally different thing i remember i was uh, i was uh, doing stand up a while ago and there's this guy who's got a way more profile than me he regularly gets to do like 20 25 spots all over the place and stuff right so he's got some profile and he's i see him at open mics and he never he'll never laugh at any jokes generally uh and and he'll be sitting there and he'll be looking at the crowd for most of the time he'll yeah. find a vantage point in the corner and he's what he's doing is he's trying to get a read of the room and being like all right how am i supposed to do my thing and and that goes for a lot of comics i feel like unless you really catch them off guard or something they'll generally be like yeah analytical as you say they're looking at it a yeah. different way the lay persons do yeah so uh yeah. Well, I, I definitely experienced that that yeah. night at, at Smuga, but it, coupled with uh, pro probable cultural difference because Norwegians well, yeah, won't they, and show they are more as much reserved. if they're yeah. feeling it. Yes, they are more yeah. reserved, but 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 again, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, now I had performed live before, but it was at more local places out in uh, Lied at a place called uh, Tronby Pub yeah. with friends, close friends, and of course they're going to enjoy themselves closer to the hoedown than yeah, the, and it's going to be more of yeah. a more of a direct feedback. Yeah. Whereas there. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that, and it crushed me. I, I yeah. thought, I'm done. I'm, I'm never going to do this again. But then that feedback afterwards mm. was, I mean, it, it literally um, uh, led to me continuing mm. with, with, with music because I was, I was crushed, and I was seriously thinking in my... You can hear it. I have a, I have a live recording of that mm. where I say, y'all can dance if you want to, and just... <laughs> I mean, if they were really in, you know, in the States, if they were really into it, you would be able to hear the audience mic, the crowd mic. You would probably hear some clapping and, yeah, here we go. Yeah, yeah. But si silence, yeah, nothing. Yeah. And they all just stood there and nobody danced. Yeah. And, no, so, so that was my, that was my first real introduction to performing. Um, now, now, having said this, this thing about me being very active in music i've been mostly active as a writer for others okay uh well what people have seen is the results of my writing for others um i've written a lot for myself i have maybe three albums worth of songs mm -hmm. that are pretty much finished mm -hmm. and in fact before my son johnny died it was right around that time it was supposed to be in fact january 2020 he died in november 2019 in January 2020, I was supposed to release an album, mm. but I was so, you know, so messed up from his death. So, so that still hasn't happened. So as of now, all I have is four singles from that upcoming album out there. Yeah. And I guess it's a musician's curse, or it is for me anyway. If I sit and listen to my music for too long. Right. And I do that critique thing. It's not that I'm not satisfied with what's there, but it's that I can do something better production-wise, or maybe I can add this or change that. So now I'm in this position where I could give out that album now, but I'm I'm kind of in this frame of mind that I can do better. Mm. But then physically, 
I can't do that betterment of the product because I can barely last, you know, 10 minutes with a guitar because right. of my, well, my shoulder and now, and now because of my neck. So I just don't have the physical capabilities of, you know, turning on the microphone, sitting down in front of the mixer and, and performing right. uh, anything of, of substance. So I, I might come with a single uh, during the course of this, uh, this summer, you know, kind of mm -hmm. capitalize on a little bit of this media attention that I've gotten right, right. and, and, and put a single, I'll find something that's done that I'm more than satisfied with. That's good enough to put out now that I can be proud of. Mm. And I'll probably do that during the summer. Some, some unfortunate timing in your run-ups, man. Cause yeah, the Johnny thing before you're supposed to do an album, focus yeah. on that. You were supposed to do an hour of stand up, and then COVID comes yes. along. I'm glad you mentioned that. Sometimes I forget about that, and that scares me that yeah. I've gotten so distant from stand-up. But but let me let me start by saying <clears throat> that things have been shaken up and stuff. I don't I don't look at that as 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 a downfall mm -hmm. because when I release my album, it's going to be better than I than it originally was supposed to be. Um, and uh, uh, this step away from from music, releasing music has given me more time to write for others. Mm -hmm. Um, I've written a song for Jonas Fjeld right. that pr I can't say for sure. He hasn't given me a 100% clear answer yet, but it will probably be on his next album, which is going to be an album of, of English uh, speaking songs that he's coming with. Um, so shout out to uh, Jonas Fjeld. He's a good, good friend. Um, so it's given me an opportunity. This, this step away from, from music has given me an, from, this step away from my own music has given me the opportunity to, to produce more work in collaboration with others. And that's always a good thing. It's, mm. uh, you know, I learn things. Um, when I wrote uh, a country album for my friend Einstein Reme, uh, that was quite the learning experience. I'm not a country musician. I've never written country before, but I did that for his whole album. So I love these collaborations because it's, there's so much to learn. Mm -hmm. I've learned something every time, but, but you, you mentioned, gosh, I'm talking a lot, but you mentioned, uh, you mentioned uh, stand up. Yeah. Um, yes, I was, um, uh, Babek Namati and I, and, and gosh, I love that guy. I should call him. And here, here's, here's one of the things about COVID. It's brought me closer to some people and I've met a lot of new people because of the podcast during COVID, but it's also, I see that I've distanced myself from some people. Babek is a true friend and brother and I haven't spoken to him in almost a year and that's not right. I did the same thing with my best friend. Oh, I, I think, God. Yeah, you're not describing anything too unusual there. But, but, but I think Babek is like me. Um, uh, you know, I feel a true kinship to, yeah. to, to Babek, and, and, I, and I think it's mutual. And I'm sure he understands. I mean, he's got his things going on. I'm sure he sees I have my things going on. And that brotherhood and that friendship is still there. I, I love you, Babek. I'm going to call you. I should. And he told me, he told me, stop thinking about calling me, John. When you want to call me, just call me. Because <laughs> yeah. I've said before, man, I thought so much about calling you and this, that. And, yeah. and he says, he's got like a Zen approach to that kind of thing. He says, stop thinking about it. If it yeah. enters your mind, just do it. Yeah. He's right. It's like uh, people say about uh, if you want to quit drinking or quit drugs or smoking or whatever. You go like, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. Well, if you want to do it, you do it today, right? Yeah, that's a little <laughs> deeper, though, with, with of course, quitting. Of course, yeah. of course. I'm just, I'm but, just but, saying that. But you're right. Yeah, yeah you're right. You, you have to just jump into it. Feet first. Feet first. Just jump into it. Planning is often a way of postponing. Yeah, um, yeah. But but, but but if, if things had gone uh, the way they were supposed to go without COVID, Babek, uh, Namati, and I, we were going to start booking uh, smaller shows. Mm-hmm. You know, if people came, great. If they didn't, great. But we were going to work on our act mm. and build it out to uh, maybe a half hour, 
40 minutes each Mm -hmm. and then put that on tour. And then during the course of that, my plan was to add, subtract, change so that I would have two half-hour sets, Mm -hmm. which I then, at the end of touring with Bobek around here in Norway, I could then combine into my own one-hour show. And that was supposed to have happened in December 2020. Yeah. And it just didn't. It just didn't. Because my last day of stand-up, I was pretty much done in March when COVID hit. I did Steinars and then I did Steinars again in June or July of last summer. Yeah. But nothing between March and that show in June or July and nothing at all since then. Yeah. So stand up is, but it's not totally quiet. I have written a lot Mm. of stand up. Um, uh, I haven't vocalized it. I haven't put it out there on the mic yet, but I have written a lot. A lot of great ideas. They make me laugh anyway. Yeah. So, and so, make Snoopy cringe. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I it, she is somewhat of a barometer for what I put out there and what I don't. Yeah, I've understood that your method she, of writing is tends to be, can I make her uncomfortable? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I make her laugh, I know it's super funny because yeah. she doesn't, I mean, she laughs a lot, but she laughs at, at weird things. So if I can catch her sense of humor, then I know it's pretty much going to catch everybody. Because I have right. to admit, as an American stand-up, I do have a certain approach to comedy that sometimes isn't relatable to a Norwegian audience. So if I can touch Snoopy, then I'm pretty sure I can touch everyone in, in, in a Norwegian audience. I have the same issue. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's <laughs> we, We're just, we're coming at things from a different point you know um and then and then as you guys see on social media and as you hear on the podcast episodes when snoopy is my guest i'm relentless with teasing her Mm. so if i can say something as i tease her that either makes her laugh or makes her uncomfortable yeah she may not think it's funny but if it's enough to make her uncomfortable Mm. and shy or embarrassed you know gosh john don't say that that means I need to say it in my stand-up yep. routine because it's it's yep. going to be funny to everybody else. Oh, if you can make people laugh against their will. Yes. Uh, there's a podcast I listen to that's about stand-up, and uh, they one of the guys he's adamant about kind of making comparisons between stand-up and uh, sex, <laughs> and he says sometimes it's better if if it's wrong. Yeah. Right. Somebody walks in on you, and it's like, why is this better now? Yeah, you know. And uh, it's kind of the same with stand-up. It's like, I oh, agree. my God, I should not be laughing at this joke. That is why I, it's I, so funny. Yeah, I want to push buttons with my uh, stand-up. I do push buttons yeah. with my stand-up, uh, but I don't want it to be... Uh, I don't. I don't do it as... To, I don't do it to be mean. Yeah. Um, it might be harsh and very direct, and, and it might be with the intention of making you uncomfortable, but I want it to be funny in that process, and it just might make people think a little bit. Mm. I want to touch on the taboo things. Mm. I have this thing, uh, part of my routine, where I talk about a farm girl from uh, Gudbrandsdalen who went on a, uh, she, her, her family's very religious. They have this big, fancy farm, well-productive farm in Gudbrandsdalen. And she goes on a um, missionary uh, trip to Africa. And uh, comes back and all she does is sleep with black guys. And then because of that, she gets disowned by her family. Okay, now, when you look at that premise, uh, I see tons of comedy in there. Yeah. Uh, And some Norwegians in the crowd see the comedy in that. But a lot of them get extremely uncomfortable. Right. Because maybe that touches a little too close to home to some of them. Yeah. 
I've seen women in the, in the audience when I do that little routine, I'm not going to go into routine about it because I don't want to blow yeah, the, sure. blow the routine, but, but that's the premise. And, and I see a lot of women when I go into that routine, they get so red, they blush and they're so, and I know, and sometimes I'll call them out. Yeah. And sometimes that'll take me completely away. What I was going to say with that yeah. premise, it'll take me somewhere else because I'll say, ah, this is hitting a little too close to home. And, like, and they'll be like, and then all of their girlfriends sitting on them will be like, yes, yeah, she was with Omar. And, you know, <laughs> and then there you go. And that's the kind of comedy that I want to do. I want to touch on those things that are sensitive, embarrassing, yeah. uh, uh, maybe even traumatic yeah. for people. Yeah. But do it in a way that's not mean, that's not overly harsh. I want to be a little harsh sometimes because I want to make a point. But it also has to be funny. Yeah. So I see some comedians who try to be too preachy they're trying to preach and be it becomes too harsh and that's a turnoff so mm -hmm. i try to avoid that um i don't know you have to ask my my uh listeners uh, or, or the audience members if I, if I succeed or not but you know i i have bombed yeah uh, on the mic but it doesn't bother me in the slightest bit anybody who knows anything about stand-up knows i love it i think it's hilarious bombed. yeah I go back because I I, uh, uh, I have my phone and I take up the audio on all of my my performances, so I have everything is right there on my phone, and I love going back and I think it's hilarious when I hear how I bombed, but it's also a learning moment because yeah. when you go back and you listen to it, you'll hear at what part in your little bit what part did you hear someone go, Ugh. yeah, ah, oh. you know, yeah. And then you can analyze, okay, why did they react? Oh, yeah, that's not really funny. That is too preachy. Mm. Or that was too direct and too harsh. Yeah. Let me soften it up and make it a little more diffuse, and that will leave more room for humor. So that's how I learn uh, from bombing, and that's why I don't mind bombing. Uh, I think one time I bombed, uh, when was this? This was after my first Steinar uh, show at Steinar's. I've done twice, two times at Steinar's. The first time I did Steinar's, I killed. It was all new material. Mm -hmm. and it was great. I felt so good. People loved it. It was mm -hmm. one of the, the best uh, a few minutes I ever had on the mic. So I came back here to Drummen and did a club night here the day after and totally bombed mm -hmm. with the same material. And it crushed me Yeah. because I was on such a high. Um, I love performing and the performer in me really eats eats up, really swallows the compliments. Of course. And I'll be on a high, I can be on a high for, for days yeah, for same. one performance. Same. So I was very much on a high. I was so proud that all, I mean, I did no old material during that show at Steinar. So all of this new material and it killed. Yeah. And then I bomb. And it, I, I actually called, I felt like such a chump. But I called Yon Yarda. He's the, the, the leader for the drumming club here. Grand this, old man. I love that guy. He's, he's, I was just on the phone with him a couple of days ago. Hats off to Yon Yarda. He's the one that gave me my first shot mm -hmm. in stand-up here. So I love that guy like a, can't say like a brother. He's kind of old. I love, yeah. I love you like an <laughs> uncle, Yon. <laughs> yeah. So I, I actually called him the day after yeah. I bombed, uh, after killing at Steinar's, but bombing and I called, I said, Yon, I, I can you just give me your honest evaluation? I I, just, I needed some feedback. I was su and I felt like such a chump for calling him, but I did it because I just need I needed comfort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Simply put, I needed comfort. But that that's the only time uh, that I actually felt horrible uh, after bombing. Is that your first bomb or? 
That was. Or was it just a contrast between that? That was and my se- that was my second bomb yeah. because uh, well, I, there's certain bits of my routine, my routine that ha- that have bombed, mm-hmm. but that was my first entire set where I got zero laughs. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, my second set where I got zero laughs. My mm-hmm. first set where I got zero laughs was a club night in Drummond, and there was only like five people in the audience, and yeah, I, I'll t- I'll tell this story. <laughs> so. Uh, brand new material. This is maybe only the third time I I was doing stand up. So this was at Union uh, on the small stage at Union here in Drummond, and um, Arna Arna Fernebe, who's another stand up uh, comedian here in Drummond, he was running the, the the mixer, the music, and everything. So I sh- I picked out a song um, by Marvin Gaye, "Mercy Mercy Me," the ecology is the name of the song. If you not if you know Marvin Gaye, you know that song. Uh, so he was supposed to play that song as I was coming out because I had a bit that was tied to that song. Right, right. So I start walking out and I get up to the mic, no music, nothing. And I'm like, <sighs> and again, I was new, so I didn't have much backup and I definitely didn't have another starter. Mm-hmm. So, and I, and I, and then finally, and he finally some music comes, but it wasn't my song. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and I'm just... So I said, turn off the turn off the music, and then I tried to sing, the song. Mm-hmm. I, 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 so I asked the I asked the crowd, have you, have you heard this song by by Marvin Gaye? And I and I sing it, and I sing it well. Mm-hmm. I sing that song real good, and I, and I sang it well. And they're all just sitting there like, yeah, you know. And again, there's a small crowd; there's only five people there, so mm-hmm. they're right in front of me, and they're looking at me, and and I, I said, you guys have heard that song, right? And they're like, uh, no. So the entire structure and premise for my opener, which is a killer opener. I still haven't gotten to use it yet, but when I do, yeah. it's going to be good. Uh, but it just it just went out the window, yeah. and I lost my composure. Yeah. I was frustrated because there was only five people yeah. there. It was weird because there were only five people, and they were literally as close as you and I. Mm. And that's just... I don't know. That's just... That's different. It's weird to it have a weird. crowd that... And it was... Um, I, I, I bombed. I've had one of those nights in Drummond. That's the first time I was on the stage with you in Drummond. I remember. Yeah. Yes, yes. And there was this tiny crowd, and there was a guy opening who just did all the rookie mistakes. Yes. And, Poor yeah, guy. when you got that few people, you can't reach a tipping point where the room is laughing. Yeah, right? you it's know. It's just going to be titters. And and, and and I didn't have the experience or composure to yeah. have a backup for my opener. And it was seven minutes of hell. Did they see you sweat? I sweat that night, and they did see it because they were so close. So that was that was a whole act or a whole uh, uh, a whole microphone session where I bombed. But then, since then and before then, peppered in between things, there's little bits that didn't work. But I always expect that because all of my material, I'm so new at it that everything I'm yeah, doing, of most of it, I haven't tried yet. Uh, but my best performance would be either the night I opened for Bobek for his, he had an hour special. Mm-hmm. It's either the night I opened for him. I just, I, that, that was such a good feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like 20 minutes maybe. Wow. I'd say at least half of it was improvised on the spot because of the crowd reaction to things I said. And it was just, it just, it was just a flow. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a great night. Uh, it's either that or the night I was an opener for Zahid Ali at um, uh, out in Myeongdong, mm. club in Myeongdong, um, Ulsan Poyarna. Mm. 
uh, in uh, Myeongdong. Uh, I opened for him, packed house. I don't know how many people there. This might be the biggest crowd I've ever had for stand-up. Totally packed. Standing room only. And not even standing room. It was so packed. Mm-hmm. And I was just on a roll. Mm-hmm. And everything, I mean, I felt like a star. Everything worked. And that's that's where I learned, or that's not where I learned, but where I kind of got, um, it kind of supported my idea of that I have to be, I have I. Because I, I tell stories. I don't have joke punchline. Yeah, yeah. I tell stories when I'm up there. And it kind of reinforced that concept that I want for my comedy, that the stories I'm telling are open-ended. So that based upon the audience reaction, right. I can go a certain place. And as much improvising as I did when I opened for Babek, when I was support for Zahid Ali, I, imp- I would say I improvised maybe 90% of the 20 minutes I was on that mic yeah, and it just, it was a flow and it started from the minute I came out. I'm in terrible shape now, but I was in, I was in pretty decent shape then in between all of these shoulder surgeries. So I walk out on the stage and, uh, it was cold outside. This is in the late fall, early winter. And I took my jacket off and I was wearing short sleeves and these two white ladies in the front row go, Ooh, like that. And I said in Norwegian, oh, lys på chokolade. <laughs> and uh, do you want some chocolate? Schleik på armen min. Have a lick on my arm. You know, and I do my routine in English, but I said it in Norwegian yeah. right there. And that was it. And I, it was off to the races. Yeah, it just yeah, yeah, yeah. full, full of improvising, playing on the black sexuality thing. Making jungle fever work for you. Absolutely. I mean, it, they gave it to me. And when I when the audience reacted, yeah. everybody was just, you know, as soon as I said they were it was almost as if it was my closer. They were mm. laughing and stomping the floor and clapping. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna keep going on this. As long as they're feeding off of it, I'm gonna keep going with people, this. People love that stuff, which shows Absolutely. that you're doing this for the specific room, not for Absolutely. It is very much for the room. If people were to record what I do, which I hate that, mm. don't record my stand up act because it's not ready to be heard mm. by anybody except for those people in the room. That and record one set and all of a sudden you've you've spoiled 33% of my material for everybody. Exactly. I am not this 5 10 15 20 minutes that you hear. Yeah. That is not my routine. I am trying to find my routine. So please don't record it. Yeah. I hate that. Oh, God, I hate that. And I've actually turned that into a joke that I throw right. in there. I tell people, you know, you don't want me. F- uh, yeah, well, I'm going to say this. I usually don't talk so filthy on my podcast. But I tell pe- people, I don't watch you, uh, you know, jerking off as you're getting ready to try and have sex with your wife every Saturday night. <laughs> and, you know, I've seen your wife and how she looks. I know you need to practice to get up to that. You know, so and, and, and so I've actually turned that thing. And when I see people, you know, filming or recording, yeah. come on, man, you know, I'm practicing. You got a ready-made slam for that. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it's, uh, I'm a firm believer in leaving that phone in your pocket during shows like that. Don't do that to that, to that comedian. Yeah. Uh, because most of us, in fact, probably all, all of us at, at our venues where we are, all of us are practicing. Oh yeah, it's not polished, it's not finished. Yeah. I don't want people getting the wrong impression of what my routine is all about. That is true. It is true. It's uh, it's kind of funny. Stand up tends to have they seem like a crass bunch, but to me it seems like there's a lot of sensitive people in the stand up environment. I think we're very sensitive. Care a lot more about what people think than you'd think because it seems like they're just saying whatever the fuck they think. But people have to remember that it's an Act. Mm. It's a comedic mm. act. 
it's satire. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's not meant to be taken literally. And if I don't it, laugh about this, I'll cry. So right, it, thank you. Yeah. Exactly. There's, there, it's very therapeutic for yeah. most of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pe- people just need to know that. People need to understand. And I think most people do. But again, like I said, every once in a while you'll see that person with the camera, or you'll see someone writing on a blog about how offended they are about what this, that, and the other stand-up comic said. And it's like, how can you be offended? You chose to go there for comedy. It's funny. Yeah. Ugly things are funny. Yeah. There's humor in that. And if there isn't, allow us to make humor in that tragic situation yeah. because people need to heal. And many people do it with humor. It's therapeutic. Thankfully, there's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of money to get to out us anonymous people toiling to become funny, right? Like you need a lot more profile before people will hang you out yes. to dry for it. So yes. there seems to be a it works a good way yes. that way. But back to the point about uh, bombing. I talk too it. much. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. It's just it got a bit off what I wanted to yeah. ask you earlier because um, the bombing, mm-hmm. uh, you talk about that, you don't mind it and stuff nope, like that. And it, it's completely necessary, right? Because yeah. I, if when things go really well, like Olsen Poyon or whatever, right, you don't learn from that much, right? That's a victory lap. To be. I disagree. Oh, really? I tend to disagree. Nice. Finally. I think <laughs> no, I think that when for me anyway, the times I've done extremely well, I can think of besides the two I mentioned, there's maybe one more where I'm like, oh my gosh, this was almost perfect. Yeah. Uh and then the first thing I do is I have to listen to it. Not the whole thing, but I'll just kind of flash through it on my phone. Are people laughing as I remembered them to have laughed? And if they are, then I'm like, okay, this was good. Because I have to say this, sometimes where I thought I bombed in the moment, Same. I'll go back and listen to it. I'm like, oh my gosh, they were laughing. Yeah. So that tells me that I was not in the moment. Because if I was in the moment, I would have been able to feel that laughter, experience their laughter. I was too much in my head. Yeah. Maybe I, maybe I, uh, my choice of words was different in the way in which I wrote it. So I was all hung up on that. And I felt like I did wrong. And then that mental process blocked out the true response from the audience. Mm. And then there's also this thing where I thought, Oh my God, that killed. And I'll yeah. go back and listen to it. That was another I was, I, that was my laughter, not the, yeah. <laughs> not, not theirs. So that happens. Yeah. So, so I, I do believe that I can't, I, I have learned from those couple of uh, uh, shows that I did where I, where I was darn near perfect because I can go back and listen to, those bits that were so good and then tweak it a little bit, tweak it a little or just make sure I don't change it because it's already there. Yeah. Right. Um, so there's something to be learned from doing well as well. I should, I should have phrased it as you learn. More yeah, you should have. What's wrong with you, man? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, my notes are empty. Uh, yeah, look at that. There's no preparation here. This is just, <laughs> no, I, uh, uh, but, but stand up in general has been quite, the, the, the journey for me, I, I literally just fell into stand-up, mm. and I'm so glad that I did. Mm. Uh, and it worries me sometimes that I've been so long away from it. Mm. But COVID has happened, and, and yeah, I mean, this is just the way it turned out, but I will be coming back to it. Absolutely. I hope so. When I'm better, when I'm better physically, you see, as I sit, I have to support my arm and stuff. You know, I can't stand over just the weight of my arm is just killing on my shoulder and yeah. stuff. But I'm, I'm going to get over that. I'm going to get beyond that. And um, and I will be back for stand up. Like I said, I had those plans of having a one hour show by December. And a lot of people were like, oh, is that kind of soon? No, for me, it was not soon. It was 
you know, it it would it would have been time in this in December. So eventually, I'll get back on my feet, and then I'll make new plans, and I'll do that one hour special. You're needing people to warm people up for you. Yes. Or, or cool them down if you want to challenge. I can do both. <laughs> <laughs> Reliably. No, absolutely. I would like to have um I would like to have maybe two people who do like fifteen minutes each. Mm. Or maybe one person do twenty minutes, half hour. I don't know. Somebody mm. somebody's gonna have to open for me. Right, yeah. yeah. A little palate cleanser. Yeah. Make exactly. sure they're not too funny though. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Don't touch on the same subject as you. The question would be, should I have them do their routine in English or Norwegian? There's some people out there who are quite good at doing it in English. And I just wonder how the audience would read. Well, I don't know. If anybody came to see me, they're going to know I'm going to do my routine in English right. regardless. Yeah, I guess it doesn't matter then. Yeah. Put me on. I'll stick on my British accent. They'll get a bit of a salt and pepper thing, right? Salt and pepper? Yeah. Black and white. British. British. Contrast. Literally, literally British. <laughs> <laughs> I've literally got a British accent, yeah. Uh, I was like I said, I was considering using that today because I look so scruffy and kind of balance things good, out. Yeah. You got that lived in that 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 uh, that that Brad Pitt unwashed look, which women for some reason find attractive. To me, unwashed is unwashed. But fresh <laughs> out of uh, fresh out of lockdown. Fresh out of lockdown. I, I watched Bo Burnham's uh, Inside yesterday, and I, I'm like, oh yeah, no, I feel like I feel yeah. like that. Uh, have you seen that yet? No, I haven't. Oh, it's uh, it's kind of worth your time, even though it's not ha ha laugh out loud funny yeah. times. But, uh, yeah. It's uh, it's a good little summary of what we've been through this past year because uh, it's it's phew. interesting seeing a lot of different comedians have their take on how they've tackled mm -hmm. uh, tackled COVID. Mm. Um, I tackled it by not doing any stand up, <laughs> <laughs> but I but again I write. I've been writing so. When, when Where would you comes. do it anyway? Like, I, I grab every opportunity I can get. And aside from online mics, there's been virtually nothing. Unless you go outside of Oslo, of course, and a bit further away. Yeah. Like, U of E started yes. up a bit yeah. earlier yeah. in Bergen. But the online, the, the, the online thing is not appealing to me. I need... I need to smell the sweat of my audience. Mm. I need them to smell my sweat. There's that There's that direct interaction mm. that, that I feel would be gone. Yeah, you feel things in the air, right? I need, yeah, I've to got feel. to have that. Yeah, yeah. I've got to. I, I've I got a lot of offers. And thank you to those people who sent me those offers to do things online with stand-up. But uh, it just wasn't my thing. John's not interesting. <laughs> interested, but I got loads of time. Anybody wants to. There is. Call that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I need every little 10 kroner I can get. Well, you know, it's. I, I wish it was easier to make money doing stand-up here yeah. in, in Norway. Um, there's a lot of talent out there, and I wish that talent could be better compensated. But people just don't want to pay for... I shouldn't say that because there are hot spots in Oslo where you, people can get paid. But why does it always have to be just in Oslo? Why do you have to go to Oslo if you want to make some money doing stand-up? Why fair, is that? If you want to live off it, it seems like you want to have to cobble together a one-hour show, take it on the road, and clean people out. Because just doing the clubs and stuff clean in Oslo. people out. That's yep. a cynical. <laughs> cynical. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, like it seems like in Oslo, if you do loft that and all that stuff, yeah. it does not mean you're not working another job. That's right? true. Uh, that's I think, quite true. Yeah, I think you have to go on the road and go around the country. See, and, and that's what I was going to do. That's what I was going to do with Bobek. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then after that, do my own one hour. I do not have the balls to aim for that because I'm some way off having an hour. But um, but down the road, that's what I'm thinking because the problem with Norway, I think, is it's a small place. It's easy to climb sure in some ways because there's yeah. not a lot of people you have to rise above. Right. But at the same time, if you're going to 
get a huge market in Norway, it means you're going to have to hit a lot of broad categories, right? You're going right. to have uh, to you have to uh, appeal to a lot of uh, the c common denominators. Well, yeah, and then another thing is, even if you have a good one-hour show that's well promoted, there's not that many large venues yeah. in Norway for comedy. Mm. It just isn't, you know. Who, it's few and far between that you have a comic who is going to, for example, go to Oslo Spectrum. Yep. And when that happens, who, who are they? They're the Bill Burrs, they're the Dave Chappelles, and things like that. For a Norwegian comic to go to a venue that large is quite the rare thing. So you're, you're limited with the venues that can be profitable for a tour. I would have to say, though, that also, I, I saw Dave Chappelle at Oslo Spectrum yeah. last year. Such an underwhelming experience. Cause, really? Oh, yeah, because it kind of feels like you're Too in this big, big hangar with yeah. these folded chairs, right? Yeah. And you see this huge stage. And once Dave Chappelle comes out, it feels like you're at the circus and an elephant comes out, right? And you're yeah. at a safe distance. And one of the charms about comedy is that you feel like, oh, I'm in the inner circle. Yeah, this guy's talking exactly. to his buddies. It, that completely was lost. Now, I have never seen a pro stand-up comic like that anywhere. Yeah. But I don't think that I would want to see any stand-up. I don't care who they are. Uh, and this is one reason why I haven't gone to see Louis C.K. or Bill Burr or mm. Dave Chappelle when they've come to big places like Oslo Spectrum yep. is because I wouldn't want to go outside, uh, you know, or go into a, um, an auditorium or a venue that's bigger than a theater size, like theater, maybe 300, exactly. 300, yep. 350, like, like, uh, like, um, like, uh, uh Thank you. Yes, there, someplace like that. Yeah, I saw Bill Bailey there. And he was okay. Yeah, good, yeah, yeah. See, now that's that's intimate. Yeah, but you you start getting bigger than that. I don't think I would want to. Well, I, I'm sorry. I would perform at Oslo Spectrum. <laughs> I could fill it up. Thank you. But I wouldn't have aspirations, immediate yeah. aspirations, to perform in a place bigger than that. Yeah. And I definitely wouldn't go see. I don't care who you are. Yeah. If I'm going to go see. One of my favorites, which would be Louis C.K., Bill Burr, Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock. Yep. I just don't want it to be in a big arena like that. It's so cold. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Yeah, I, I can't can't do it. I, 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 the month before that, I saw a guy called Judah Freelander uh, at um, up in Grönland somewhere. I forget the name of the stage in particular. But that's, again, that's a theater, right? Yeah. And that guy had us dying for 90 minutes. And I was there with Anthony, actually. Okay. And he went with me to Dave Chappelle the next month. And, and Dave Chappelle's, like, up there in the Pantheon with him. Yeah, for, right? yeah. Uh, a big deal. And both of us were underwhelmed. So, yeah, set and setting, man. It's, uh, it's it is. Uh, crucial stuff. In the same way, watching a special on TV is different to being in the room. You know. It is, but a well-produced special I'm fine oh, yeah. with. Yeah, sure. And then I don't care what size auditorium they're but in. But it is different. But it has to be, it's very <laughs> different, and it has to be well-produced. There's some yeah. specials where, because of the camera shots, maybe it's the number of cameras plus the angles from which they film, yeah. where you feel like you are so far away from them yeah. in that big auditorium. Uh, but if you film it in the way that, um, yeah, again, back to Chappelle, Chris Rock, uh, Louis C.K. Bilber, those guys have excellent specials mm -hmm. filmed. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's filmed in a way that makes you feel like you're there, but of course it's still not the same yeah. as being in that, again, not larger than a 300-seater arena mm. or, or, or theater, I'm sorry. Um, it's got to be well shot if I'm going to watch it on mm. TV. Um, I know there's a lot of good comedians out there who have specials, uh, and I've turned them on, but if 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 after five minutes I, I feel like I'm not there, yeah. I don't care about the material. I just can't do it. I turn it off. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's gold dust that stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's based it's based on it's based on all the tiny little. I mean, this is one of the things we're most specialized for as humans. I'd say the reading micro expressions, hearing yeah. little catches in the tone, the yes. timing, and yeah. inferring things from them. And stand up plays on all those things. Yes, I think uh, yeah. That's why a few little small that. things are off, and all yeah. of a sudden you That's lose That's why I can't something. do the online uh, yeah, shows. Same thing. Can't that tiny it. little delay is yeah. enough to yeah. throw me off my rhythm when yeah. you're trying to sort of because because you have to change according to the, it's like a bird flying, right? You got to adjust things a little bit just to get that steady force. Well, and I would also think that uh, as far as the audience is concerned, uh, yeah. and again, I haven't done any online shows, but I've always had this thing that the audience to an online show is going to feel like they have their privacy still because they're sitting in their home. Right their space and I don't want them to feel like they have privacy because then I f don't feel that I can yeah. ask them to lick like, your like, arm. Well, yeah, for ex yeah, example, <laughs> that's a good example yeah. or, or, or say, yeah, oh yeah, you've been on a mission, uh, yeah. missionary tour to, to Africa and now it's the missionary position, but only, <laughs> you know, I can't, you know, it's different. You, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to have from that. That's from the actual, that's actually part tell. of my yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It's, it's, it's actually, uh, crucial to the way I do to the way I do my comedy is that people are there and breathing and I can hear every sigh, yeah. every intake of breath. Yeah. I can see every gesture. And if they get distracted, you can be like, okay, what's going on exactly. over there? Exactly. Uh, if they're on a screen audience, you're only going to see them maybe from the chest up. Mm. Whereas in uh, a live show, if I say something that might make them literally squirm and you'll see the, their feet kind mm. and their legs and I, okay, that's a reaction. That's mm. a reaction that ties in to that to that uh, symbiosis that I'm that I'm after. Mm. Mm. And it all disappears when it's online. Again, yeah. much love and and good luck to those who are doing it. I know some people are being successful, but I I just yeah, I'm I'm the same way. Yeah. Um, all right, I feel like we've spent a lot of time on stand up here because yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just happens to be the case. Uh, I, it's it's my big thing, and it's yes. how we know each other. Yes, yeah, exactly. So, uh, so I can't help it. Um, I don't know. Is there anything? You feel like there's something I haven't covered because I can tell we're, we're running on a bit. It's been two hours ish. Oh, I look at it. two hours and five yeah. minutes. Is there up. anything yeah. I haven't asked you about? Something that's kind of essential to know about John Allen to get John Allen the man. <sighs> this is a big question I'm putting to you, but uh... you know, I don't know. I. I... There's so many different ways to get to know me. You can get to know me from my online presence, but that's not who, that's not, that's not me in my entirety. You can get to know me through my podcast, but that's not me in my entirety. Mm. Uh, a lot of people know me as a power lifter, but that's not me mm. in my entirety. Um, it, it all, it, it, the sum of all of those things is who I am. And I'm not afraid to 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 speak on the things that I'm occupied with. I'm not afraid to speak on the things that move me. I'm not allowed to ask the questions that I wonder about. Mm. Um, I'm not allowed. I'm not afraid to put my pain and sorrow out there. Again, that's the reason why I do this podcast mm. is to to put that out there and maybe learn something, and maybe put something out there that others can learn from. Um, I'm not that complicated of a guy. Mm -hmm. I'm very driven. Mm. I'm very focused. Um, my calmness and my desire for dialogue should not be interpreted as this this uh, this soft, floating, 
um, unmotivated, you know, pancake of a guy type of thing. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I've been through life's trials, and I still am, and I will be for years to come, uh, constantly tested, uh, constantly in a state of growth. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of people look at my powerlifting and that's what they know. Maybe they're a powerlifter themselves and they think automatically that I can be pigeonholed as, quote, a powerlifter. Meathead. Meathead, right. Uh, there are some people who know about my background uh, from being a police officer and they'll pigeonhole me as a police officer. And all oh, the pepper they throw at me then when I go on social media or on my podcast or on the news and I criticize the inner workings of, of, of the police syst policing system. Mm -hmm. uh, so if I want people to know something, I want them to know that they shouldn't pigeonhole me. Just open up your mind and see that I am a multifaceted guy. That doesn't make me better than anyone. Mm -hmm. I just have, happen to have a lot of interests. And I'm blessed to be in a position to where I can nurture those interests. Mm. And, and um, that's really all it is. Um, um, I'm on a quest. Mm. And, um, and, and there's no arrogance in that. Quite the opposite. It's quite humbling to be on a quest because that means that I'm not fully developed. Mm. <laughs> Far from it. And there's something bigger than yourself that you're absolutely, striving towards. Absolutely. So I say that in all humility. And in all humility, I say that uh, I have somewhat of a unique privilege being this black American living in Norway, doing the kinds of things that I do. This unique privilege that, attract, that those things that I do uh, attract the attention of quite a few people. And it attracts the attention of the news media so that I get on a national platform from time to time. Mm -hmm. And that's quite the unique and very humbling privilege. It puts a sense of responsibility on me. I mean, I'm always, I always take responsibility for what I do, but I feel like there's an extra thing. This kind of goes back to a thing that you'll hear a lot of, especially black Americans say that uh, up through the years, black Americans have had to work twice as hard to get half as much. Mm -hmm. as the rest of society. So I feel that to a certain degree, you know, it can play with the percentages. Maybe it's not twice and maybe it's not half, yeah, but, sure. but I feel, I do, I do feel that. Um, but I take that, uh, weight. Uh, I, I'm a, I'm a power lifter. I'll take the mm -hmm. weight, you know, mm -hmm. and I'll, and I'll push it and I'll carry it and, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll grow from it. So, um, I don't know. Is that a good, is that a good summary kind of? Yeah. Oh, I'd say so. And I, I totally agree with what you say. Like when I first met you, it's like, I, I only thing I knew was you were a powerlifter yeah. and, uh, oh, you're doing comedy too. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and then, you know, I find yeah. out all these other things in your background and stuff. And it's, it, it's some of these don't seem like they mix, you know, some, <laughs> you know, and, and the fact that you've thrown yourself into each and everything, like with all you got and made headway and, and, well, that goes, that goes back to my childhood. I had too many experiences where I felt like I wasn't shit. Really? I had too much of that. And I had too many things that I wanted to do that I was discouraged from doing. Things that I think would have benefited me, you know, mm -hmm. in my position in life today. Uh, but things that I was discouraged from doing are things where I didn't get the support that I now see as an adult that I needed. Mm -hmm. And having gone through that, having lived that, and having 
become old and wise, old enough and wise enough to analyze those occurrences from my childhood and my young adulthood, it put me on this path uh, to where, uh, uh, you know, after having gone through things uh, like, you know, Marine Corps boot camp Mm -hmm. and getting that huge boost in confidence as far as knowing that I can do any doggone thing I want. Mm -hmm. I've done this, so I know I can do anything else that's out there. Gift of mastery. Exactly. So I've carried that lesson with me. I've carried the experiences and let's call it trauma Mm. from my childhood with me. So it's a combination of these new life experiences as an adult and that trauma or that disappointment or that sense of unfulfilledness uh, from my earlier life. And when I put that together, it leads to uh, this quest for more knowledge and more growth. It, 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 It leads to this service mindset. Mm. Again, I, I want people to hear this podcast and all of its episodes, all of my episodes, and get something out of it mm. that they can carry with them and go further. Because, you know, I had, to, like I said, I have, I've had too many situations where I didn't get the support that I needed. So I want to do what I can to put something out there that can support somebody who might need it, whether it's a child or a grown man or woman. It's a yeah. fairly noble cause, man. I, I know I've appreciated your your podcast a lot. I haven't listened Thank to, you. I haven't been your best listener. I'll have to admit. Well, you're better than Snoopy. She can't even pronounce what the doggone thing is called. <laughs> I called her out on that once on an episode. Snoopy, tell everybody it was, in, you know, I wanted her to do like a promo Yeah. and she, you know, like a deer in the headlights. She didn't, she didn't even, it's like, come on, Snoop, the coming <laughs> home podcast. With, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're better, you're better, you're better supporter than Snoop. <laughs> but it's, it's, I, I think it's really cool that you get in so many different people. You offer them a platform. Yes. Uh, Yes. But uh, I, I'm really totally glad. selfish of me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad. I'm trying I'm, to learn. I'm glad that Anthony uh, uh, suggested this because uh, obviously you're every bit as interesting as the guests you have on. Ah, so well, thank you, thank you for saying that. It's good to look under the hood a bit. Well, everybody has a story to tell, and uh, I'm glad I got to tell my story in detail through the great questions <laughs> that you've And I'm glad that this happened because of Anthony. Uh, he's coming back. I've got to have that guy back on. I've got to get him in here, mm. talk with him face-to-face and spend a day with him. I was talking about it. He felt a bit like he was warming up for the first half of it. So, uh... Yeah, you know, I noticed that. And if I didn't have to go to the bathroom so bad at yeah. the end, I would have kept talking with him, but I had to, <laughs> I had right, to right, go. Right, right, right. There's at least another couple, three hours of, of podcasting in our conversation, uh, Anthony no and I. So, so he, he will. I will have him back. Um, I'm just glad he did this and made this happen. This has been fun. I felt like I talked a little too much sometimes, but uh, but uh, hey, you ask me, I'll tell you. Yeah, <laughs> that was the aim. I was I was deliberately shutting up. You know me. I'll talk a mile too, right? <laughs> yeah, and I, I I'll pontificate about stuff I have no idea about, and take great delight in it. But today it was like, all right, let's let this guy. Talk. No, this was fun. This was fun. I really appreciate it, man. So. Uh, I think that my uh, podcast has been uh, somewhat better for having been taken over for an episode by you. So thank you for that. All right. Thank you for having me as your host for this My pleasure. Time. Uh, my I'm pleasure. looking forward to being back as a guest sometime, maybe with Anthony in the studio. Yeah, uh, no, that would be we fun. talking about that, yeah. I'd I like to make a whole day of it. Get you guys in here. I'll make us dinner, and you guys hang out. You can meet the family. Um, you'll probably meet Snoop and the kids now. They were out. Uh, they made us run to the store as you were coming in. So you'll probably get to meet them now when we go out, but to spend a whole day and, and mm. have dinner and, and, and turn it into a couple three hour long podcast episode with you and Anthony. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Man. All right. I'm going right, to the keys back to you.
All right. Uh, that's Eirik uh, Sörvik, everybody. Um, thank you all for listening. Uh, if you're listening to me on a podcast, regular podcast platform, just listening, please look at the description of this episode. You'll see a couple of links that you can click on if you'd like to support me. Uh, your donations are not necessary, but they are highly, highly appreciated. If you're watching me on YouTube, that's where I want you to be. You can see these beautiful, smiling, unshaven faces. Uh, and you will also see in the description of the episode there on YouTube where you can click on a couple of links in order to support me. Thank you all so much. This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen and my host today, not my guest, my host has been Eirik Sörvik. Thank you. Thank you so much, Eirik. Take care, everybody. Give him a screenshot. There we go. Take care, everybody. Bye. That's it, man.